John, does your mom listen to the podcast? She does, Brian. Mine doesn't, but that doesn't mean that I don't love her. And you know what's coming up? Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. May 14th. So you know what we could do? Well, we could send flowers. Oh, really? Where could we get those flowers? Moms love flowers. My suggestion, Bouquet in a Box. Mm. What is Bouquet in a Box? It's a new online flower bouquet business. And right now, they want to give our listeners our a listeners. special deal in honor of all the special mothers in their lives. Who doesn't love a special deal? What kind of special deal are we talking about here, buddy? We're talking 15% off nice. your Mother's Day order, okay? And I don't know if you know this, but Bouquet in a Box has been around for over 50 years, and they grow, pick, and make all their flowers in california california you know what, what else is in california our podcast yeah hollywood anonymous what's the promo code for this by the way the promo code for bouquetinabox.com you go there right you go to the website you mm -hmm. type in promo code hollywood hollywood that's one word us. yeah that's our that's promo code and that'll give you 15 percent off your mother's day order guys don't forget your mom's this mother's day go to bouquetinabox.com type in promo code hollywood and get 15 percent off nice we love moms we love flowers they go together and we also love special deals Hollywood promo code, bouquetinabox.com. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, do you want to do a show? Let's do a show. All right, let's do a show here. Oh, right. God, John, this technology thing. You're getting it, dude. No, Look, I'm I not. see you got the cables and the wires. I see I'm it. I see what you... Right. Dude, you're doing it, man. I'm to turn on my parent. I'm done. Are you I'm tapped pan out. Are you, are you, what are you doing over there, panning and tilting? Yeah. <laughs> pan, pan the audio up and then tilt the bass to the left. You know, when I bought all this equipment, I was like, yeah, top of the line. We're going to do shit like we did back in radio. Okay. And uh, now that I have That's it all, I'm like, is there a way I can scale this way back? Well, yeah, top of the line. I mean, and also. We're going to start doing the show by phone. Just but, so you know. but also top of the line, like, doesn't that technology change every five minutes? Like, Not that's... the board stuff. No, I just got too big. A... Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian. Irwin. I'm John. Huh? I got too big. Of Tonight a on Tech Talk. For some reason, apparently, I thought we we're going to be having live bands in studio, <laughs> so I've got like <laughs> way more input. Guys, than the I'm Lumineers are here. We have 72 people from the band in studio. Dude, I wanted to go see U2's 30th. Oh, the Joshua Tree at the Rose Bowl. But and the what tickets. are tickets? Are like 500 bucks a pop? What, what? And the thing is, I didn't. I mean, I guess now my wife and I could go, but. I want to take the kids. I feel, feel that was a good, like, that's a good band that you could tie young kids to. Like, they'll get it. And and then your kids, uh, speaking of music you want to tie your kids to. This one? A railroad track. <laughs> um, it gets like, once it gets in my head that I'm distracted by that song, I can then no longer you wanna think. You want it gone. I want this gone immediately. Um and also, your kids listen to like newer U2, probably, right? What they hear on the radio and stuff. Uh, no. They oh, no. listen to really crappy top 40 music. But, but why would you take them to. Oh, because. Because I want. Try like, to. Like, yeah. Yeah. Try to, try, to make, try, to, try to turn that tide. But uh, so my buddy is going to see them in Chicago, and he said he got some tickets for 50 bucks. Uh, the cheapest Whoa. seats out here, which is literally the ones that. Remember when you and I went to that All Star game? We were in the back, and we, we literally. One had more row back, we would have fallen out yeah. of the stadium. <laughs> Yeah. I had never sat that far away oh, dude, I, in a sporting event or anything in my life, and that was the furthest I had. And we paid about one seventy-five for those tickets. It's one twenty-nine on per ticket. Day of, day of, we paid. Uh, yeah, you because know what they I were mean? just trying to get rid of them. They were trying to get rid of them, but we paid that on the day of, and that is, I've definitely sat farther away from oh, really? stuff, dude. My first Grateful Dead show at Soldier Field, I was basically in the back of the stadium at the top row with my back against the wall, right under a, a, a you know, a VIP box, and. Uh, and then, and then even like the last Dead show I saw, I was way far back. And like the, the All Star game, I've sat all the way in the back at Dodger Stadium. I've sat like, 
Have you ever been, well, the ones that I don't understand. Oh, Van Halen, um, a bunch of concerts too, man. I just sit, I, I sit right by a door. The general admission tickets at like huge outdoor festivals where you're like seven and a half miles back and Dude. you pay the same ticket price as, as the, the people guy in who, the third row. But, but the, the difference is the people in the <laughs> third row. But you can't row, see anything. You're watching it on TV are at that point. psycho because they got yeah, there early enough, pushed yeah. their way in. Dude, I will never forget. I went to the, that big four show in Indio with Ryan Brown. Big four, Slayer, Anthrax. Uh, Megadeth, Metallica. Clarifying because I had no idea. No, I know a lot of people it. wouldn't, but that they were called. They're known in the metal community as the Big Four, right. and uh, and they were po- finally playing together. Megadeth, and Metallica have a feud going that for, that's lasted decades. So the fact that they were all going to be on the same bill, and it was going to be fantastic. Now Ryan's friend Gary Holt plays guitar with Slayer, so they gave us backstage passes. Yeah. And we walked in with Ricky Rackman, and we were hanging out in the Coors Light tent, and we just literally walked. All the way up. We d- I go, let's see how far these passes will get us. We walked all the way up on stage, and we were on the side of the stage with Anthrax's wives while Anthrax was on. They were the first band to play. I thought you were going to say, you're at one point, we were actually in the band. One, at one point, I was playing <laughs> drums for Anthrax. <laughs> but, so, <clears throat> and uh, we, we had eaten some fun peanut butter sandwiches before the show, so we were having a good, good old time. But we get to the side of the stage. The band is playing. James Hetfield is literally four feet behind me. I turn around, he just nods at me like, "Hey, man." Well, yeah, well, you're on there. T- you're on. The, you're on the safe that, side. That's now. that's why I'm like, I'm like, oh, hey, buddy, like, yeah, yeah, just it's just James Hetfield. And then uh, I look out at the crowd and I look at my buddy and I'm like, I wouldn't want to be at this concert if I had to be out there. Like it was just animals. Yeah. Uh, and there and I get it where there's a mosh pit, but then it's just the sea of people kept going. And mm-hmm. like you said, at a certain point, you're just watching a giant monitor. Because you can't see what's You're going on so on stage, far away. and I, I just I was like that, and like my buddy sm- smoked cigarettes, so we had to go. The only place that sold cigarettes was at the front of the venue, which was we came in the back, so we had to walk <laughs> a- away from the stage. And the farther out you got, it was like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Do you know what I mean? It was like <laughs> the, the the sleeves became there were no sleeves there, then there were no shirts, and then there were just like muddy people, and yes. you were like, what is going on? I was like. And then I saw like two guys I knew, and I was like, "Hey, man, we're gonna get out of here." And then we just ran. I ran back to the, to the thing. I just wanted to be back where it was. I could go to an air conditioned tent. I could walk on the stage when the band was there. It was the last time Jeff Hanneman ever played with Slayer, and uh, it was pretty awesome. It was a. It was one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen. I, you know, I, I had just gotten to a point because I worked in the music business. Radio, yeah. No, no. I oh, said this, the, oh, now this just, is this is just music business. In different, general. different. Yeah, we got two different things that Brian's done. That I, I. I really began to appreciate the um, the pass. Oh yeah, because it's it became harder and harder for me. And this is, is going to sound like I'm being an asshole, but it's just honestly got truth. It became no, harder you, and harder for me to be a part of the general population watching concerts anymore. Like once you get on the other side, and you you just have a different perspective of it. You're also just, older. That would have I think I think without all. Let's say you. No, but, but even back then, you know, I was in my twenties when I worked in the music yeah, business. Yeah, I guess I was going to say that maybe. As you got older, even you would just be like, I just don't want to go to concerts. Like I just, I don't. For the most part, I don't because I'm not a. I don't sway my arms. I don't go to. I don't really get. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, but I'm not, and I'm not an interactive concert goer. Does that you know what I'm saying? Oh, you're not singing along. Hey, now you guys sing it. Hey, (laughs) dickhead! I paid two hundred dollars for this ticket. You fucking sing. That's like a DJ who sets up and then goes, let me hear everybody make some noise. Like, wait, <laughs> what are you doing? You make the fucking noise. I'm here to have a good time. I didn't show up at somebody's wedding to make noise. You play the noise. I dance. 
<laughs> I just I, that's I love that. And when you listen but to a live, do you feel stupid if you don't do anything at the concert? See, that's then I get anxiety because I feel like people are looking at me, going, "Oh, look at look at look at uh, Gramps over there that just <laughs> sitting there watching." Ooh, it's, it's old man Irwin, and he's whittling. But, What's he doing? But I look at it. This is my theory, and then I'll, I'll take your theory on this. I look at it like. The same way I experience the music in my house. I'm just sitting there relaxing, enjoying, enjoying this, and I'm doing the same thing. It's just this with a live experience. I'm participating in my own way, but I'm by watching and perform it and and feeding off the energy of the crowd. But I don't necessarily need to be with them in this. I'm also not the guy that does the wave at, at stadiums right. anyway. So. No. I don't participate with anything. I, I except I'm, take me out to the ball game. I will sing right that. because That's you don't it. want your kids to think you're a goddamn Nazi. Well, when you're with your kid, even when I'm out with my kids at a game, oh. I'll still sing it. Um, I am a firm believer that you cannot tell someone else how to enjoy a concert or or well, sporting events are different, but concerts, live music, the live music experience is going to mean something different to everybody. Yeah. If there's a guy dancing like a fucking lunatic. I mean, yeah, maybe it's funny looking, but dude, I'm not going to be no, upset with that guy. No. And that guy's enjoying it. And I don't like however you want to enjoy live music, because there is something amazing about live music. The, the people getting together, the the band, and I really limit it to like bands I love. I really only buy tickets like I used to buy tickets to see Motorhead whenever they were in town because they are an, they were an awesome live band. Slayer is an awesome live band. I will always go see Slayer. The Dead and Company, any carnation, any any carnation, any uh, um, uh, breakfast drink, any any version of the Grateful Dead, I will go see and I will enjoy. I will go see Fish when they come around, you know. But, but, but you, those are bands that I live. Those they're better live than they are recorded on on albums. You know I, what I mean? I will give you a full credit for the you can enjoy a show however you want, except for the person that never stops screaming. Okay, the person the that never stops because they're not even listening, and the person not, you're just yelling, and the person that tells you to sit down. <laughs> that, those fucking people, those people. If I were the king of the world, okay, I would take the people driving fast in the slow lane. I'd move them over to the side and probably execute them along the side of the road so that everyone would say, "Hey, man, maybe we shouldn't be doing that anymore." And then uh, I would go to concerts, and the first person that said, "Hey, can you sit down?" they would they would be kicked out. They would never they would get their concert pass revoked. They would never go to a concert again. I went to see Roger Waters play The Wall. I don't I I guess I'm have I have a hard time explaining to people how much that album changed my life. And I always said that if it, I ever the, yeah, I don't think everybody needs to know that at the venue. You're talking about at the venue. No, you walk I mean around, I mean in general. No, but I mean guys, I'm so glad to be here. I don't know you guys. I but know you're in the middle you of your own conversation. But let me tell you how this has changed my life. They're like, thanks, man. But what are you doing there if if that album doesn't mean something to you? What do, what do you care? What are you doing they there? They like light shows. Fuck off! Like I was so mad. We, me, three friends, paid big money for our tickets. We're standing up. Can you guys sit down? It's some jerk off with his girlfriend out on a date. I was like, dude. A date. This is, I, I, I like looked at him. I was like, are you insane? Well, it's not a fucking orchestra. It's not a bad. No, I, I, look, if I, was at a, if I was at a Philharmonic thing, yes, yeah. I'm not going to stand up and fucking <laughs> scream and yell. And, yeah, and light up joints and pass them around. Like, I know, I know how to behave at certain events, but I can't believe people who go to concerts now and destroy the live music experience for other people. That, to me, is shit. And if you're experienced, if you need to sit down, then buy a front row ticket front and, row sit a, in, and sit in the front row. Go and go, go to an indoor one and get in one of the, um, in one of the uh, suites or something Yes, like that. yeah. Or you know what? Stay home. Live stream it to your fucking TV like you can, do to almost, YouTube, yeah. so you can do to almost everything. And the other thing, if you go to concerts and the first thing you do when the band comes on that you like is hold your phone up and take video, you need to stop and you need to have your phone revoked and you need to be kicked out of the show. 
because like for Roger Waters, he's already got cameras. There's cameras all over that venue. He's shooting that for a DVD. You think your video footage is going to be better than the camera footage that Roger Waters has paid for? Do you think I'm going to want to watch your video footage later? Do you think you're going to want to watch your video no. footage? It's like the people who videotape themselves at the Beijing Olympics walking out. They're videotaping the crowd. I'm like, dude, NBC is already taping all of this. They got you covered. They, they got, got you And you covered. know what? As an athlete in the Olympics, I bet you get a free copy. I bet you get a free copy. Yeah, I think there's a little bit too much of the addiction to that. But to go back to the U2 thing for Sorry, for I just one, had no, a no, lot no. of coffee. I got No, that's good. Up. Yeah, you are totally. You're all Lee Stobied. But the... the um, Lee Stoby, we're gonna use that as a verb. I got Stoby, dude. I get totally too much, Stobie. too many McCafes. I cannot, I cannot uh, calm down. I'm just all Stobied up right now. The uh, uh, what I was gonna say was that, uh, and I think we were joking about this last night. And you know, before I get uh, to that, let's bring in our guest. We're gonna incorporate him into this part because I think we were talking about this music thing last night. So oh, okay, okay. Uh, our guest for this week, very special guest, very special episode. Uh, <laughs> just different strokes. <laughs> this is it's, it's Arthur Carlson from WKRP who tried to molest Arnold and Dudley in the back of the bike store. Uh, our, our guest for today, Brian J. Snyder. Uh, I, I'll say this. I'll say uh, I don't know if Renaissance man. Like, would you s- use that word? No, absolutely. <laughs> not. But like, That's okay, not even writer, in the ballpark writer, at all. like you. Ca- Cal Arts, writer, uh, producer, you know, showrunner type guy, but then also uh, lumberjack, uh, rural farmer. Um, <laughs> you just you, you you've lived a very uh, eclectic. Life. There we go, eclectic. Yeah. I almost said salt and peppered. I don't even think I said that right. I was like eclectic, eclectic. You live a eclectic life. A little mini stroke. Yeah, it was a little. I had mini strokes on a daily basis. So. Okay, don't say that because I don't know if you're serious or not. Like. No, it, it, well, <laughs> Well, John, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're doing. I, the, it's this, it's the, the, it's, it, it just is only in your tongue. See, I just had. I was right gonna there. say, John, are you John, having one now? John <laughs> makes fun of me all the time because I have those things. It's usually in my tongue, or all of a sudden my mouth just gets stuck in one position, and I got that. I get. I max headroom for like seven oh. minutes before I can ask a question. Can we? Well, I didn't do vocal warm-ups. I usually. Oh, you, is that oh, okay. what you? I do that just to go out in public. What oh. if he was I like, can I, I use your? You hear him? He's like, can I use your bathroom? And he goes in there and he closes the door. La 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 la. Whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot, we'll be together, whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. Wow. And then you spend the next four hours not talking to anybody, but you were still <laughs> warmed but, up. But you're warmed up and ready for that conversation in case it yeah, happens. Yeah, you got to be ready. So real quick to go back to this to wrap up the yes. music thing. What it, we're, it, it's the reason why, because you, 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 you touched on this with, with the Roger Waters and, and it being important in your life. For me, uh, when Joshua Tree came out, I remember exactly what I was doing when the radio, the, the, the station in our our city was like, we're going to play the whole album from the beginning to the end, commercial free. And it was like, I ran upstairs and got my cassette player and, and put it put next it to the speaker. And recorded it. And recorded the whole thing. And while it was playing, I just sat outside. I blasted a speaker through the... So I love about when you're when you're a kid. You don't give a shit if anybody else in the neighborhood wants to listen to what you want to listen to. I Guess blasted what? I'm it out. listening to it. You're going to listen to yeah, it, too. I blasted it out the front of the house while I shot hoops. And I was like, I was like this. Kind of similar to the first time I heard um, um, uh, Jump from Van Halen or the 1984. Yes. Um, I was like, this is fucking going to blow my mind. Like those two albums, when they, when I, when I, when I listened to them beginning to end, I was like, this shit is blowing my mind right now. So anyway, that would be kind of like the, um, the tie to my kids of like sharing that experience. But do you have any of those? 
Brian? Musically. I'm Music- sorry, I wasn't even paying attention. That's okay. That's great. That's fair. Uh, Brian was Musically, talking about uh, are you talking about... Well, he was talking about tying you two into trying to get his kids to... to, to or just give, like, anything musically, like concerts, any of that kind of stuff. Or did you give a shit about any of that kind of stuff, or is that not your thing? No, I mean, I, I saw, you know, I was a weird kid because, like... I, I was trying to connect with my father. My father is, is much older. Like he had me when he was in his forties. Oh, okay. So he's like he's like eighty three now. So okay. and he was a, he was a comedian and singer, and you know he used to do impressions and you know Frank Sinatra and stuff. And like I I didn't realize it at the time. Try to keep the mic. Oh sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. No no I know but I, I didn't. Going in and out, I right. hear, yeah I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I was trying to connect with him. Musically, uh, we'd listen uh, every Saturday. There was something called Saturday with Sinatra. Okay, and this so is where? Where were you growing up? Oh, I mean, I grew up everywhere, but I, th- but this was in uh, at the time I was living in Los Gatos with my mother, Los Gatos, California. Okay, and um, but uh, I drove through there just last week. Hey, all right. Yeah. Next to Los Banos, which I don't know why anything would call be named after a bathroom, but I believe Banos is bathroom, correct? Anybody, anybody got my back Banyo, on this one? Banyo is bathroom. All right, there we go. Anyway, so back <laughs> to Los Gatos and, and yep. Sinatra in the mornings. Yeah, and uh, so you listen to Saturday with Sinatra, and uh, and I started, you know, I started singing it, and you know, I listening to it, and I got became very uh, viscerally connected to it, and uh, on a weird way because I was only like tw- you know ten, eleven, twelve years old but doing you know, Sinatra, sing- yeah. singing like one for my baby, and like you know, <laughs> talking about loss, love, and. Uh, and you know all that kind of. Did stuff. you know what you were singing, or that's just the words? Like I, it, I, thi- I think I just because Sinatra has you know he, his emotion you know flows through there and you, uh-huh. you feel it. I think I'm not sure. I, I definitely didn't understand the nuances of all the lyrics. Right. But I def, but I got a general sense of the, the sense of it, you know lost love and and pain and all. I, I you knew when that. he was sad or when he was happy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad or Frank Sinatra? Frank Sinatra. I so both. Your dad. <laughs> so, so your dad was an industry fellow. Was he a was he a traveling man? Well, was he, that his thing? He and his brother had a comedy act in in the fifties and sixties and seventies. They were on Hollywood Palace. Um, they, th- my father, had wonderful opportunities to work with Bob Hope, but he had issues that you know, like I don't know what it was, fear of success, but uh, he would just turn down opportunities. Like Bob Hope wanted him to go on the road and. You know, he he met all these people all the time. Like Henry Fonda, you know, Don Rickles. You we, know. Was we, was he living here in Cali- in uh, Los Angeles at that time, or no? That's not how that that's not how that all rolls. They just they meet each other at venues, kind of thing. Well, uh, at venues, but I mean, he they they lived in Las Vegas. Most in Vegas, people. okay, yeah. all right, yeah. got it. So. That was their primary residence, but they lived all over the place. And it was a lot of the performers in Vegas because they performed in Vegas a lot because yeah, of the thing. Okay, exactly. They had performed at the Desert Inn. That was okay. their main main venue. You know, it's I, I, I'd be curious to get your take on your dad when you say like he was he didn't like there's I I and John may know this too. There are certain comedians. I don't want to say that they jeopardize their own careers, but entertainers sometimes they will. They get in it to be in the game, and then when certain opportunities come, it's like they almost do something. Like they put a wall in front of themselves, and it's, it's really unexplainable. I don't. It's know. almost I mean, as I if they feel that they are not deserving of what's being offered to them, and they are terrified. I think what you said, a fear of success, is a is a thing. It's a real thing. Like there is, you want something so bad that when you come close to it, or when you start to become, when you start to realize that you you're getting what you wanted, there's a uh, there's a terror in there that's like. Oh my God! Beca- and and again, this is I'm going to sound like a f- I'm preaching, but like that's why you, people need to live more in the present moment is because we have no idea what's going to happen in the future. No. But when an opportunity like that comes along, take it because 
why not? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, people are so afraid because I think the fear is that you succeed and then you get the job and people like you and then you do something and you do it wrong. And then you're not funny. And then people are like, oh, dude, you're not as good as we thought you were. Yeah, exactly. But, that, but that's the but risk th- you take. That's, but that's why you every, do it. Everyone is afraid of being found out. Like, we're all afraid of like, oh, my God, what if people f- re- realize I'm not funny? You know, what if people realize that, like, without my friends, my parents, and my upbringing, I wouldn't have any fucking stories to tell? Right. Well, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but, but that's no one cares. Like, everyone, everyone's thinking about that about themselves. And no one's I'm not looking at people going, I'll figure you out. I'm going to get to the bottom of why you think you're so funny. Like, I'm just like, hey, you succeeded. And for the most part, people I tell who I think are funny. Hey, man, I think you're great. They're like, oh, or great set. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It could have been tighter. It could have been. And and nobody it, it's the people that are like, oh, I killed it every time. You're like, yeah, OK. So, Brian, with your dad and your brother, uh, what you're talking about, did this become a post analysis or was this an ongoing discussion with your brother and your dad and your family while it was happening i'm sorry it's my it's my uncle it's his uncle sorry sorry yeah um well i uh, the truth is i never really was in that world because uh my uncle his brother my father's brother committed suicide uh in the early 80s oh the life of a comedian yeah and he was schizophrenic and and so it was very odd because uh they just gone to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said Oh, he's he's not a danger to anyone himself or anything. And then they they all went. They were in Monterey, California, and they all went out to dinner one night in Monterey, and they had a great time. And everybody went back to their hotel. And he just he went out and into the parking lot. He had a shotgun that he'd gotten from his his uh, father's place, and he just drank a bottle of wine and kickstarted it. And that was it. Um, I think some people also, it's like, if you're covering up, right, you're just going to lie. I mean, maybe the, the his psychiatrist was like, you know, that day he asked him, he's like, I'm just going to give him whatever fucking story I want to tell him today so that everybody thinks everything's fine and people just do what they do. There's no explanation for it. Did that have an effect, a big effect on your uh, family? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it destroyed my father. Never went. I mean, he had opportunities to go solo and he didn't he didn't do it. He didn't want to do it. But. To go back to living in the present moment, th- th- there's a cycle of suffering in my family that is uh, it's fear-based. And what ha- I'll just try to be very brief about this, but the reason for my father's fear, and he told me this because he, he has rectal cancer, and about in 2008, I drove him from Stanford to his, his home in, in Nevada, and we had this conversation about I, I wanted to know about his father because I never met my grandfather because he died because he fell off an oil rig and, and died. And so... I never met him, and so he told me this story, and it, and it clarified everything perfectly about our family, about why the psychology and everything. And so the story is when my, my father was in high school. I think he was like 17 years old. He was making decent money. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he was making decent money. He wanted to buy a house in the, in the Berkeley Hills of California. And so he said uh, but he needed a cosigner. He couldn't, he couldn't you know get the loan without a cosigner. So he talked to his father and his his father, um, you know, said, I'll go with you and look at the house and maybe I'll co-sign. And then he looked at it and his father said, I'm not going to co-sign. And my father was like, why? why? Why won't you co-sign? And this was during the 50s. Or s- and his father said, well, the Russians are going to bomb us and, and we'll, we're going to all die. And my father was like, well, we're all going to die anyway. Why don't we just, just do Why don't I deal? die in the house that I want to buy? Yeah. And so what my, my whole point of the story is that he my my grandfather made this decision based on fear and he never took chances and the same cycle went through with my father he liked doing comedy he liked making he made decent money he made a great living for the family but 
he was I, I think there was a fear of success a, a fear of having to do more work uh, more pressure and so he never he he could have he could have really been like the smothers brothers okay yeah you know they could have had that but they didn't because he just said no all the time and, that, and that runs through my life too. and so what did he do after uh his brother uh committed suicide what did he for the for the the second half of his life if he, he became a professional drinker oh okay yeah so he did he was is he still working well he he did or did he get out of that he, he got, got i mean he they wanted out. him to go solo he had a beautiful singing voice and okay. he's a great comedian but uh they wanted him to you know go out there i mean they like industry people and uh they wanted him to sing and do his comedy but he just said no he I, just passed yeah i mean I, he just couldn't you know but he had depression all the time like you know he had a he had an opportunity. I remember one time. I guess he. This is a story my mother told me that they were going to do a huge show, and he just basically locked himself in the bedroom and closed all the curtains for like a month, and like didn't didn't go out. And it just like so he was he was always struggling with some kind of you know something fear. I'm I'm assuming it was fear. Right. Yeah. And but but in all of that though, you decide somewhere along the lines to uh to dabble in this world as well even with all this did you have did you know most of all this stuff before you decided ah, this entertainment business is pretty interesting did you already have this back knowledge no wh what 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 happened was is is i you know my mother you know was a single mother raising me and you know i was shitty in school i we moved around a lot because she she had married uh this guy in upstate new york so it was basically like he was like the the father and uh, you know robert de niro in this boy's life Oh, good. Great. Yeah. So he was like okay, that. Okay, cool. But not, uh, not, yeah. as, not as violent. I'll teach you a thing or two about a thing or two? Yeah, he's like, mm -hmm. you'll remember me, that kind of stuff. And he like, you know, uh, he did the exact same thing in the movie. I remember I left the, the toothpaste cap, cap off the, t you know, the tube, and he came in and just fucking pinched me real fucking hard, just like Robert De Niro did in that movie. And I was like, holy shit, that's, that's unbelievable. That it's the same thing. But, um, yeah, we, so we moved around a lot, and I didn't, I didn't know what the the hell I was going to do with my life. I was, you know, I was really depressed. And my mother, we didn't have any money. It's funny that we moved to Los Gatos, California, which is a very wealthy community, but we just lived in a little tiny two-bedroom apartment from, that was, you know, in the 50s. It was a uh, 50s era. And um, and I just didn't know what the, f the hell to do. And the only thing I could think of, you know, I wanted to connect. I always wanted to connect with my father, but my father was very distant. You know, he was. And he lived in Vegas. No, no, he actually lived at that time. He lived in uh, Dublin, California, and so relatively close to you. Uh, yeah, about you know, I think about an hour. Oh, okay, a couple hours. Okay. anyway, uh, hour and a half or something. So he was around ish. Yeah, he was around ish, but he wasn't around. Like, I, I mean, it. literally, you know, I would be with him at my grandmother's house on on the weekend, and he really wouldn't talk to me, wow. and he just like read the paper, and I tried to like kind of wrestle with me, just be like, get off me, you know. Yeah. He was just like, he was just, he was just, he didn't want to. I don't think he really wanted to be a father, but he. And he had this weird thing with, that, that really fucked me up was that he would he would lie about it. I, I'd say, oh, yeah, Dad, you remember when you did this? And he's like, I never did that. And I like and I knew he did it. But so I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what that was about either. But uh, I'm sure if I analyzed it more, be, you know, anyway, my whole reason. I So I started basically Saturday. I started singing. I started, you know. Uh, I was in high school. I saw they were going to have an audition for Guys and Dolls, the musical, and Frank Sinatra was in the movie Guys and Dolls, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to do this. And uh, So that's what got me into it. Okay. And later I, I realized I'm, I want my father's approval and attention, and that's why I got it. Like a lot of, you mm -hmm. know, 
artist. They want it, you know, their parents' attention. So, so you did the theater. You did the high well, school. Did theater. you do the guys and dolls? Did you get into that? Yeah, I played. He's like, no, it never happened. Yeah, he was like, I didn't get the Frank Sinatra part, but I didn't. Uh, I wanted that so bad. It was Nathan Detroit. I think that was his character. But uh, oh, I thought you were telling me a guy named Nathan Detroit got the part. I'm to like, say he well, he would never forget the kid yeah. that stole his moment. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan Detroit. <laughs> I'm gonna find you on Facebook, Nathan Detroit. <laughs> So I bas I played a, a character it was like a Salvation Army character. Uh, With no lines. I had lines and I had one song called Velvet. I, I think oh it was good. Like Velvet, I can wish you or something like that. But at I, least you weren't the tree or something like that. I was not the tree. Yeah, or just part of the chorus. I auditioned for uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat in sixth or seventh grade, and I tried out for all the solo parts, and. Uh, no, that didn't. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> Ended up uh, just playing Gad, Listen. standing in the background, singing along with everybody else, where like, they could hide my voice. Listen, in a, in a, in a society now that rewards kids for everything. Oh, I would have gotten for underperforming. I would have gotten all the solos back then. I, just, I was gonna say, I just think it's okay. I, it was. It's hard when you're going through it. It is okay to not be picked for everything. It is okay to be guided in different directions and not go in fact it's better hey, for you <laughs> this 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 kid not you specifically brian but like they if, imagine them on the other side of going well this kid can't really sing do we just give it to him anyway it's like just like giving kids trophies for not doing anything like at they some point up. you need to learn that that's not where you you belong over to the left not to the right you or, need to, or that's okay you, or it's if that's offensive. something you want just learn just work or, practice work harder get be better, better yeah. be better at it yeah, but learn how to be, be better at it just to be given it and yeah but, on if, the back but if it's but how are you going to even become interested in shit if it's just like you're getting it like uh, you sign your kid up for basketball your kid might not even know that he likes basketball yet and then your kid happens to the season doesn't like basketball. And then you give him a fucking trophy for being there. It's <laughs> like it's like what he's like. What the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make him want to play basketball more. It's like, it makes him think that everything he does, he's gonna get a fucking trophy for, even if he doesn't care about it. So the point anyway, is, sorry, you, you didn't you didn't get um, uh, uh, the, the the main role, but you you did it anyway. And then uh, I'm a, did you just keep doing theater? And then when you got out, did you go to a liberal arts college or like what was your what what were your intentions long? Well, what happened was is you know um, you know I started to do more theater, more plays, and I really enjoy. I I didn't really I wanted to sing. I wanted to be I wanted to be like Frank Sinatra. That's really what I wanted. But I my you know, I just didn't. I didn't have that. I mean, I have an okay voice, but not. You know. But anyway, he not angelic. He didn't look good in a fedora. I actually did. Okay. <laughs> I, I I'll I'm, be I'm the judge. Angry that you. I'll uh, be the judge of that, dude. <laughs> uh, let's see some photos. So yeah, I, I I ended up doing a lot of acting and 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 you know and then I went to Cal Arts and I got my uh, undergrad degree in acting at Cal Arts. Okay. And then, um, I guess I should talk about why I switched from there, but. Um, in my first year of uh, at Cal Arts, um, I told my mother I need to go to the eye doctor. I need to get some new glasses. And my mother was like, "Oh, where are you going?" And I was I was in Valencia, and I said, "I'm going to go to this place in Granary Square." And uh, and she's like, "All right, well, go get some new glasses." And so I went there, and uh, and I had an eye exam, and the doctor said, "There's something seriously wrong with your eyes." And so he. He was like, uh, I was like, all right. He's like, you need to go see an ophthalmologist. And, and I was like, all right, I guess I'll do that. And so I told my mom at the time, it's my first year at CalArts, I said, there's something wrong with my eyes. I, I, I should go see an uh, ophthalmologist. And she said, all right, when you get home, we'll, we'll set up an appointment for the summer and, and, and do that. So when I got home, she and my brother were sitting on the couch and said, we need to talk to you. Brother's 12 years older. Yeah, my brother is 12 years older than me. And... Um, and he has 
something called Usher syndrome, which is a degenerative eye and hearing disease. Uh, you know, it, it's you basically start the, the eye part is called is retinitis pigmentosa. And basically, you uh, have night blindness at first, and then you start losing your peripheral vision, and then a bunch of other th things happen, like cataracts, and then you can go totally blind. Okay. And so he has that, and then basically they sat me down and said, listen, you have the same condition as your brother and Usher syndrome. You're going to go blind. And I knew I had hearing loss as a kid, and I, I didn't, you know, but it did, I had hearing aids, so it didn't, it didn't really change anything. It wasn't a... a, a you know, it didn't stop the show. Uh -huh. um, the only thing I had was night blindness. And when I asked about it with my mom, I, she said, oh, a lot of people have night blindness. Don't worry about it. And so the reason she didn't tell me when I was younger is because I, we had a horrible experience living in upstate New York with my stepfather. She thought I was too traumatized from that. She didn't want to add extra shit on top of it. At and the point that you were um, uh, you, you, that you were sat down with your brother, how far along was he at this point? And how aware of you what was his situation were you? He he was not too bad at that point. I okay. Mean, I mean, uh, you know, he he was still driving. You know. Oh, okay. It, so it wasn't it wasn't scary at that point. It it did scare me psychologically later on. Uh -huh. But uh, it it wasn't too bad. So at that, but I did go to an ophthalmologist, and he said, you know, I asked him. I said, how much longer? I, I, you know, what vision will I have? How will it be? And he said, you'll have useful vision in, into your fifties. And so I'm thinking useful vision meaning driving reading everything you know that'll mm -hmm. that's you that's useful vision R to me. that's a, that's a reasonable thought yes yeah so um as i went on uh I, I i call them like fractures because i i have these they're like realizations that a crack opens up a void that i'm losing more sight faster than i anticipated so, okay so when I was at CalArts, I had trouble, you know, maneuvering backstage during shows because it was dark and I'd run into shit and, and it was, you know, and I had to explain it to the cast members and the director and that was a, a painful thing at the time, but I, I did it. And then, you know, I started thinking, uh, I don't know if I can do this acting thing. I don't, I, I, I was like, I'm going to, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I could just see the way that's progressing. I, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I thought, well, I can still, if I, if, as a director, I can look at the entire stage and I can see everything. I don't have to run around. I can just, you know, look at it and I can do that. So that's then I decided I'm going to go and become a director hmm. and and it'll be a little bit easier. And so I went to UCLA and got my master's degree in directing. Oh, no shit. Nice. And um, and then after I I had a horrible experience. I had I did Kafka's Metamorphosis my my second year. There was a three year program. I did Kafka's Metamorphosis. It was wonderful. It was it was, it was a great experience. Uh, Explain great what that is to well, the the layman. Oh, Kafka's Metamorphosis. It's a very famous. Yeah, it's it's based on, on one of Kafka's short stories. It's about a guy who. Franz Kafka's a Russian writer. Uh, he's actually right? Czechoslovakian. Czechoslovakian. Yeah, and uh, covered in Russian lit though. <laughs> but. Um, Basically, I think he's Czechoslovakian, but I, anyway. Um, so he, it, it's a story about a man who lives with his family, m you know, his mother, father, and, a, and his sister, and he works at one of these monotonous jobs. I can't remember what it was. And he has such a, it, it's a metaphor for how he basically feels for himself, or he believes his father feels about him. He basically turns into a dung beetle. And, uh, and so it's his family coping. God, it's like.
I'm sorry. That's all sorry. right. Hey, buddy, it's okay, man. <laughs> I, 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 I know. Uh, sorry. Um, I've thought about it over the years, but. <laughs> I, I, um, I didn't. I don't know why it's why it's hitting me now, but anyway, the story. I I think subconsciously I I chose the story the play because it was a reflection of my own father. <laughs> and uh, and how he viewed me as uh, you know. And, uh, you know, I th like he saw me as this piece of shit. And uh, at least I thought. And so it was, uh, I was, I'm basically saying that I was connected to the play because of my relationship with my father. And so basically at the end of Metamorphosis, um, Kafka's father throws an apple into his back, as you know, into the dung beetle's back, and it gets infected and he dies. And, um, Anyway, my, I don't know why this happened, but uh, the, the point is, I did that play. It was, it was People liked it. You directed that play. Yeah. Okay. And I'm sorry I didn't make that clear. Um, no, no, no. I think you did, but... Okay. So uh, I did that, and then I uh, my final year, I and I did invite, invite any industry people, because that's what you do. You invite industry people, and they see your work, and hopefully you'll get your more work. This that. is in Los Angeles, correct? At this this point, was in UCLA. UCLA, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Okay. And so... Um, and then I decided to do this very difficult play by Jean Genet. It's called uh, The Balcony, and it was a, it was a horrible disaster. It's, it's known as a difficult play. Isn't that yeah. the thing? It's like, it, like it, it never goes well. It it's always, always shitty. It always fails. I don't know why they allowed me to do it. I really pushed for it. Because, well, do you think at that point, you mean you probably had confidence. You had done yeah. the couple things. People were like, this is fucking great. You did a great job. And you're like, you know what? Give me that fucking hard one. Yeah, it th I, it was something like that, but I still don't know why they let me do it. I, I, <laughs> they should have been like, yeah, we appreciate your drive, but me, here's the deal. So let me ask you a question because I'm going to claim ignorance here because I'm not familiar with this. What was it that made it such a difficult play? Why did people struggle with it? It was it was the language. It, it was the subject matter. It was set in a brothel. It was it was trying to mirror this this fascist political regime that was happening and. I won't go into this in the story because it's it, but that's but there's there's a lot of variables that basically made it very difficult. Yeah, to, it was a very complicated, play. hard to act in, hard to direct, yeah. hard to be in. Okay. Hard to yeah. And so basically, uh, it was a complete disaster. The actors hated doing it. I had this one actor who was an Israeli ex-Israeli special forces guy who was violent with one of the female cast members. He threw her across the stage, and I just Jesus. I lost my shit. And I was like, I was like outside with it. I'm trying to keep my cool. And I was like, dude, do, 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 I was like, never throw. You don't do that. You stick to the blocking or otherwise somebody's going to get hurt. And and he started arguing with me. And I, I just lost my shit. And he and I were just we, we were about to get into it. And luckily, this this very, you know, calm. His name is Jose Luis Valenzuela. He's one of the professors. He, I just remember seeing him in the distance coming out. of the, I could see a cigarette glowing in the darkness. And he's like, hey. Stop! 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 And and he calms us down, and and uh, and then I just go out in front of the theater school benches, and I fucking start crying because I realize the play is a disaster. It's just not gonna work, and I couldn't invite any industry people. Right. And so, I was so embarrassed, and um, and and that at that time I had another 
rupture, a realization that I was losing more vision. I had this thing, it's a thing called photopsia. It's like flashing in the eyes, and it's very distracting. It's hard. At that time, it made it difficult so to this drive. This is just piling on. I mean, this is just one eye thing after another. These yeah, are, it, it, I, because I didn't expect it. I was trying to go through life like, okay, I didn't want to, because when I was in undergrad, I almost, when I first found out about it, I like was like, I'm going to quit acting. I'm going to become a psychologist, have a just normal job, mm -hmm. and, and, and just do that. But uh, for whatever reason, the acting professors at the time were like, no, you have to stay. You have talent. You really need to pursue this. Don't let this you know, disease control your life. Okay, that's cool and that they did. They were willing to yeah, step he, in. Yeah, he said, and then he says, like, well, I don't know if they were just trying to meet a quota of students. <laughs> and I go, I honestly feel that a professor in a college, they don't need your money. So it's like... Well, okay, dude, well, I mean, if I, they I believed in you, that's why, that's why they were trying to get you to stay. They felt that you had something that, that, that could be... I know, I'm cynical. I have a, I have a whole cynical thing it's about okay. it. No, you don't, you don't say. I want, you, I want just to, to, um, to, to, to pile into what John is saying, uh, I just want to be clear, uh, you know, all my years in college, not one professor ever said you should just... Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Brian's like, <laughs> I'm going to quit. They're like, you know what? That's probably for the best. best yeah. See you later. Yeah, I was actually kicked out of film but school. But my dad... So I didn't really have anybody... Well, you uh, you're like a Jim Morrison. Well, they grade you out. I mean, they kicked out. Like, they, they will intentionally just not give you a certain grade to advance. Oh, yeah, and but so you're the one... Yeah, because you didn't... I did narrative yeah. in an avant-garde film school. Exactly. He did a narrative... Yeah, and everyone was like, hey, this is not artsy and, and stupid enough. Yeah. And he was like, I'm sorry, I told a story. And they're like, well, you're fucked. <laughs> Get out. So anyway, but so yes. So, so but that's the, again. That's why they were asking you to stay. They were telling you to stay because they felt they were trying to have a positive influence on you. They didn't want you to walk away from something that you probably could see that you clearly loved and that you were into. You know. Well, I appreciate that. I, 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 I you know, I mean, I, I, they were supportive. But on the other hand, I remember being in an, in an acting class, and one of my acting professors is like. He's like, most of you guys aren't going to fucking make it. But that's true, <laughs> though, too. I, that's not even – it sounds like you're being a dick. But there should be somebody at LAX when people get off a plane. Like, hey, just so you know, like 85% of you aren't going to make well, it. Well, that, that's a buzzkill. No, but, the, uh, but you know what I mean? It's like it's true, but that shouldn't stop you. It's just – it, what they're really saying is find a soft landing behind that because you don't want to be – Or or like your, maybe curb your expectations. If you if you get into acting because you want to win an Academy Award, yeah. maybe that's the wrong reason to get into acting. If you act because you thoroughly enjoy it and you feel that you're bringing entertainment, comedy, drama to other people and that it's giving them some sort of escape or whatever and – allowing them to uh, enjoy life a little more, then that's why you act. And, and at that point, you do plays and you do anything. Like, I, if I turn down roles, I mean, wh who, wh what is that? Like, of course I'm going to act in your shitty movie if you want me to act in your shitty hey, movie. Like, easy. No, I you didn't ask you. No, I know. You didn't. And my you, movie wasn't shitty. I didn't, wasn't talking about your movie. I don't, I just was trying to. But, uh, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, I, I just like just being that guy in Hollywood. Hey, man, you, you're probably clearly talking about me. And even <laughs> it's all about me. And that's why I don't get mad at an actor for being in a bad movie. It's like, look, they, no matter what, if you're, if you like to act and you read a script and it's not very good, but they're going to, you're going to get to act in it, you're going to do the best job you can do in that movie. And you're going to shine brighter than everybody else if you do. I don't know. Anyway, my point is, uh, so you, you, got, you got that speech. They kept you in it. So the point is they keep you in it. You graduate. Then what do you do? How do you start making money in this crazy Here we world? Go. Well, what happened was is, is because the, in, at UCLA, and my thesis production was such a disaster, I, I was so embarrassed I didn't invite anybody. And, uh, and, and I was like, I was, I was devastated because mm -hmm. my, at that time I, I had a girlfriend that I was really in love with. And, 
and she broke up with me too and i want I, I literally wanted to marry her and, and so that was happening on top of it was it because of the play and how bad it was is that why she broke up with you uh no actually it's funny we broke up earlier than that and then Hilarious. she came and saw the play and we actually got back together for oh. a while so there was a silver lining hey. of the play that you couldn't get through. yeah okay but yeah, I, I I don't know why she got. I, she, I think she just wanted. That's not important. She wanted to get back for the summer. <laughs> Women love broken men that they can fix, and she saw through that play. She could fix you. Yeah. <laughs> she saw you at your most vulnerable. Yeah, something like that. It was, I <laughs> Actually, you know, it's funny that you say that because I think she did say end up saying I I don't know how to deal with you when I can't take care of you. I think that's what oh. she said. Oh, yeah. So Ooh, good luck with that, lady. Yeah. yeah, Captain Independence, you wrecked it yourself by being too g- having your shit together. Apparently, at some point, and she had to get out. Yeah, I think that was it. No, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so you so this this train wreck happens. At what point do you like you got to you got to put it behind you? You're obviously clearly going to still go and do stuff in the business, right? You well, still want to work. No, enough. what happened was is 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 I I got out. And I was so horribly depressed because I'm like, I need any job. I need to make money. So I go work at uh, Starbucks on on Larchmont. Oh, you're a barista. And I never, I never made it to barista. I was so horrible. Oh, yeah. God, everybody does barista. You hated it so much they were like, we can't promote this guy. He hates everything. I was the cash register guy. I literally had conversations like this. So people would come up and go, can I get a bag for my pastry? And I'm like, yeah, I got a fucking body bag in the back for you if you want it. I mean, I was that. I literally said those things. I was, and like, at first, like, ha ha, this guy—he might be doing a character. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, no, he's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what happened was, is I was there, and and I actually got into a car accident because I was crying in the car. I think it was somewhere on Franklin. I t-boned somebody, and I was like, I I I I just remember it was just horrible then. And I just was like, I got to change my life. I got to do something. And and um. And so I got this other job selling TV shows for syndication in North Hollywood. Wait, what? Uh, when you said, like, that's, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we, come on in, kid. We're going to have you sell some TV shows for yeah, syndication. So it's this, like. This was a little shitty, like, they did the ultimate poker championship. Like, little, little, they weren't like, you know. This Big shows. But your jo- so what was your job? Cold calling stations in yeah, little markets and being yeah, like, look, I've exactly got this. I've got this product that you can play between like 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. or something. Exactly. That's exactly. But the thing is, they I was such a they I mean, it was it was no money. They literally put me in the closet of another office. <laughs> I was my desk was in in an, a closet. There were, like, hangers and stuff like that. <laughs> they didn't even clean the closet up. Yeah. Hey, uh, can you hand me my jacket, Brian? Yeah, thanks. Here you go. Here's your... Mr. Rogers is open. Is my sweater in there? So I, I'm in the office, and I, I, I literally... I literally... I was having so many problems. I was going through having OCD stuff. Like, I literally could not shit there. Uh, th- because I think what ha- I, one day I freaked out so bad because I went into the into the bathroom and somebody had put a sign and said, "Don't shit on the toilet seat again," <laughs> and and you were like, "Oh my God, someone shit on the toilet seat!" I literally I had to take a shit and I'm running out of the out of the office, shitting my pants, and l- going down the stairs <laughs> and people are like, "Where the fuck is he going?" And I'm going trying to go home to take a shit. Yeah, but now they think you're the guy that's been shitting on the toilet seat because <laughs> you saw the sign and ran out shitting your pants. Well, you weren't the guy shitting. I the wasn't. Toilet seat, right? That's okay. the ironic. Thing. So you just—that's <laughs> not ironic. That's just being a but, human. <laughs> but 
But I was that my OCD was so bad that I like I couldn't even just seeing the sign that somebody had shit on the toilet seat. I had to leave. You I'll be honest. I, I'm with you. I, I don't know if I would have run out shitting my pants if I was if it was that far along. I would have hovered over the toilet, but I I would have never shit at that toilet again ever. Don't shit on the seat. What are you well, talking first about? Off, who got that angry? They're like, God damn it, where's the computer? I'm gonna type up a doom shit in the seat. Like if you at some point. You have to go. All right, we got some scatological problems here at the. Uh, well, at what, this well how does that memo go or circulate? Like, hey guys, we've been noticing a lot of poop on the seat. <laughs> Maybe we could all just be fucking adults and learn how to take yeah. a dump. Yeah, that's <laughs> like those signs in the break room. Hey, your mom doesn't work here. Clean up after yourself. Yeah. I'm like, you think my mom cleans up after me? What the fuck is wrong? Sometimes with you? people have to work under. Th- I've worked on productions. You have to. They have to work under threat. So you let them know. Like after every time somebody goes to the bathroom, we're gonna go in there. We're gonna check. We're gonna make sure that everything is. Oh my god! Can you imagine that? Okay, so th- you're a PA. Your job now, stand outside the bathroom. Whenever anyone comes out, you run in Go right in, away and look see around. if there's shit on the seat. You write a name down. <laughs> you tell me where, what department they're in, and you tell me where they sit because they're done. I think I could do that job. That's your job. <laughs> like, <laughs> who's this? Who's the shit do, Gestapo not, over here? Like, oh, that guy's going to d- inspect uh, the seat when you're done. He's got the turd clipboard over there. He's got, yeah, a clipboard, gas mask, you're like rubber gloves. You're like, I'm ready. Yeah, and uh, the, it, it, it was horrible. I mean, I literally, I felt like a piece come out my pant leg, and it like fell on the. We've stairs. all been there, just so, like uh, if they're, they're every every almost, I would probably guess more than seventy percent of all human beings have shit their pants. Yeah, dude, because you uh, end up inevitably eating something. That all of a sudden, you're like, uh oh, well, clams casino was a bad idea. <laughs> like, you know, you just get fucking whatever. But, um, so did I'm this envious of the thirty percent that does never shit their pants, but they don't, <laughs> they don't have a good story to tell. I mean, that's really right. what it boils down to. They live a sad life without a good shit story. Dude, so. if you've never had to yell, I'm not shitting in a defensive tone, <laughs> I always say that. You have not lived your life, dude. Hey, you ready to go? What are you doing over there? I'm not shitting. Like, okay, well, dude, that is the grossest pee I've ever smelled. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm a, so this obviously ends at some point because well, of all this. Well, did you, right? did you get... Let go after they saw you running out poop pants. No, no, I, th- I, I, I actually took comfort. Can't fire someone for shit in their pants. Well, I I'll not. tell you, I took comfort because uh, the owner had a dog that ran around the office. Uh huh. So I thought that if anybody got blamed for it, it'd be the dog for shit in the toilet seat. No, for the shit that came out of his pant leg. Yeah, that's what I was. Thinking. Oh, it, it, ha- it that fell out in running the down office, the, running down the not, stairs, not yeah. outside. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so you're hoping it was small enough. enough that it could be a dog poop. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was. So I think it it, it would have been hard because I never heard about it. Nobody came up and like, did you? Oh, really? How does that conversation <laughs> even? T- Hi, uh, Brian. No, no one yelled. Uh, hey, Brian, you dropped something <laughs> as you're running away. Hey, is this yours? They're holding it, running <laughs> Wait after a you. Minute, like. This is a I don't understand what this cornball is, but if you need it back, <laughs> to put that down. He's stealing candy. This isn't candy. He's like, hey, you dropped your your Snickers ball. Oh, my God, that's not Snickers. Um, oh, good poop story. This makes me giggle. So, uh, anyway. Right, so, you... you, you you return to this job. Stories, yeah, that, we only need just the, just one the, is bare, good. the bare one is minimum. Good. Yeah, okay. one is good. Three is too many. Uh, this, well, is, this is the one poop story quota. I get it. <laughs> kind, kind of similar to the what was the, what's the, what was the joke in American Pie? Like if you say you had sex with uh, a woman, says she has sex with one person, you actually have to times that by three or whatever. And if a guy says three, you actually divide it by three. Like yeah. there's the thing. So I think with yeah. poop stories, we know that there's more than one. Yeah, if with, you've with done guys, it, if you've done it once, the chances you are probably times 10. you're a repeat offender. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is not something that you. <laughs> Is there is there like a Megan's law for, for 
for people who shit their pants. Like I, I don't know. Is that <laughs> what's what's Megan's law? Oh it, well, no. What is to the, stay away from people that are constantly shitting their pants? N- yeah, like you know how you can look up the sex offenders and see where. They oh, yes. <laughs> you look on there like, ooh, there's a lot of pants shitters in this area, honey. <laughs> I don't know if we want to buy a house yeah. on this particular street because they're called both leg- neighbors. They're both called, neighbors. They're called leg shakers. <laughs> leg shakers. <laughs> leg shakers. Uh, corn nugget droppers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, no more poop. All right. All right so you're so back. You're back. You're back. Uh, I'm back in the, the closet. Next day. I'm back in the <laughs> closet. <laughs> so not I'm gay. <laughs> wishing I was pooping everywhere. Yeah. And so I, I, I was, in, I was literally, I was smoking, chain smoking all the time, and the, which was the worst thing for in my. In the eyes. closet. For your eyes, for your boops, for yeah, all for of it. everything. I, I could you. You were smoking in the building. Like was this still no, when no, you could? I mean, no. Okay. I, I, know. I, I, I was chain smoking. I, I literally took. 20 breaks a day to change. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's chain smoking. And and so I mean, I was I was miserable. I literally wanted I, I was I was com- contemplating suicide. I really was. But what happened was, is I was like, because I realized my eyes were getting worse. I I was like, I got an acting degree. I got a directing degree. What the fuck am I going to do with that? And I was like, if I try to pursue a mainstream career, uh, there's no way I'm going to make it with the the progression that I'm having, the degeneration of my eyesight. I'm like, there's no fucking way. Like, so I was like, what can I do? I can use w- my creative skills and make money quickly. And the first thought was porn. I got to say, that's a smart thought. I, I really, uh, I don't know that I would have come to that conclusion because that's a, I mean, it, they make. Well, especially when you're thinking directing, I it's like you just assume that they just turn on the cameras and people like go over there and do something, and then we'll change the camera. Well, they got the cameramen do all the work. That's what you would think, right? Well, well, if you yeah, if you don't know anything about it, if you never watched it, you're like, yeah, that's not it. You just turn the video phone on and then you go hump in front of it and then you're done. Which is a lot of what's on the internet now. But we're to, what, how, right. when when was this approximately? This like was this, this was 2005 okay. when I was working for that place selling TV shows for syndication. Okay. I, so, uh, so how does one all of a sudden you uh, you come to this epiphany? I'm I can do this porn thing now. How does one actually? Well, what happened was is is I th- I w- here's the thing how I rationalized it. I, I'm a huge fan of George Carlin. I've been a huge fan since I was you know in, a teenager, and he has this one bit about prostitution, and he goes, it, it, "I'll try to do it justice, but I won't." But he basically says, "Sex is legal, selling's legal." Why isn't selling sex legal? And so I was like, yeah, that's true. Why? I mean, people, everybody has sex and everybody, you know, you know, has to deal with money at some point. So I was like, that's not that's not a bad logic. And so and then I was watching HBO had this thing called Pornocopia. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Which documentary. is a docu- documentary about the industry. Mm-hmm. And it was a very pro-porn, do- uh, you know. Yeah, everybody in that documentary is smiling. Like, I love it. I get to have sex with people on camera. It's my favorite thing. They yeah. show none of the, my uncle fingered me, and that's why I do this. There, like, there's absolutely none of that. It was yeah. all like, I, I, I'm, I'm making money. I'm having sex. Yeah. I'm loving it. Whoa, porn is great. Everyone should get in. It's like a recruiting video. <laughs> that's really what it was. And so I was like. All right, I'm gonna do this because I watch at the time I watched porn and I was like, yeah, why not? You know, uh, give a little people some pleasure. And uh, but I didn't understand the other aspect of it, which I'll get into later on. Okay. But um, but so I started contacting the main companies from the videos I had watched, mm-hmm. and nobody responded except one company. Should I mention the company? Or you can if you want to talk about them. You don't have to, but okay. I mean, because you're gonna, we're going to talk about the I mean, movie and they yeah, made the I movie. Yeah, I guess there's no way to avoid it. So it, so the company was called Digital Playground, which is a they were a major 
porn company for the early mid 2000s up until recently. Actually, yeah, uh, they were actually started in the 90s, and the, actually the the owner there's two actually two owners, a male and a female, and the male. He was on top of the digital aspect of it. He yeah. he was always ahead of the game, and then that's what I mean. We all know that the porn industry drives technology. So yeah, yeah. dude, there'd yeah. be no internet without pornography. Exactly, and I, I'll tell you the truth, just so you know that like Microsoft, they I mean they literally work. They don't people don't know this. I'll probably get assassinated for saying this, but uh, at least you go out giving the people the truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so. Um, I, what happened was I, 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 I he, he contacted me and I actually did a weird way around it. I, I did, I, I emailed him through like the, the girl recruitment. If you know a girl who wants to be in porn, oh, email okay. and you'll get $5,000 if we hire that, something like that. And so he contacted me and he said, and I said, I, I, I just graduated from UCLA in directing and, and I'd like to maybe, I, at that time I was thinking I'd be a director, you know? Uh-huh. And, and he's like, well, we really don't need a director, but, can you write? And I had never written a thing ever, anything. And and I said, yeah, absolutely. Of and course, that, rule number one. That is rule the number one. Is always yes. Yes. I yeah. that's like someone told me that at an early and as a PA, they were like, hey, do you know this answer to this? And I go, no. He goes, let me give you a piece of advice. Always lie. Always. Lie. Always say yes. Always say yes. So you. Uh, so he contacts us. Can you write? Your answer is yes, as it should be. And then what? Yeah. And and so he, I said yes, and I had never written anything at all. And I actually had written one play, but anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, and he said, I, I need a sample of writing. And I said, well, what do you need? And he asked me, he says, write something that has to do with pirates or an adventure story. And so I wrote, like, just a – it was just like a, a, a treatment. It wasn't, you know, anything. You didn't and have let's the be script honest, down. You were just like, this is, this is the – Outline. Sort of rough outline of what I yeah. would write. Yeah, and let's be honest. I mean, everyone's joke is like, "Oh yeah, you're writing for pornography, right?" Like you actually have to write something. But the ri- but the writing book. assignments, the things he was asking for, weren't sex scenes. They were like right, exactly. scenes. Write me an adventure story. It's like okay, like something to tie it through in between all the sex. Yeah, because they can. Yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah, so but, anyway, yeah. so there you were. So you you did your treatment. Yeah, and 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 it, he had to, he asked me to change things, and and I kept doing it, and finally he said, "You have the job," <laughs> of. And, of writing? and now the job was he wanted me to write pirates, which is basically he didn't. He never. It's funny thing is he never scri- described it as a parody. He just said he wants to do a pirate movie. Right, but we it's all a know parody of yeah. Pirates of the yeah. Caribbean, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, which yeah. was popular at the time. And yeah. And so uh, I was like, all right. And so I was, you know, I, I literally was was, you know, uh, I'd be at the shitty job during the day selling TV shit. Try. I don't think I ever sold a TV. Oh, so show. you were still working at that place. You hadn't left and done this. Okay, got it. All right. Yeah. And so, just so you understand the writing process and how it happened, is he had because everything is based on uh, Digital Playground has contract girls, and they need to use those girls for the movies. And okay. And it's all based on marketing and trying to you know so that this the story is based on people they want, and it's just like any movie. Uh-huh. You know, you're gonna put Brad Pitt in it, and, and yeah, you know, yeah. So. Anyway, so um, Evan Stone be- is Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> exactly, with a, with a cock sock underwear. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he wanted, you know, he t- he told me I want this to happen in this scene. He, I mean, ne- and, and I write would just write the scene, right. and and that's how it worked. So I would be working at the shitty job, miserable during the day. Come home at night, just write as much. As I, he, I mean, it was a really tight deadline. I only had a couple weeks, and he was. 
you know, he'd say, I need this scene by tomorrow, write this. So I'd, I'd do it, and he'd say, fix it, and come back. And so we did it really quickly. You weren't doing things like, Arr, me matey. Or, oh, yeah. Right? Oh, you were. Yeah. You were he like, was you writing were... a movie, an adventure movie about pirates. And, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, the obvious thing would be like, hi, you matey. Take, or, you take or, the sex out of that movie, and it is literally like a Disney pirate movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and just so you know, that that's I'm glad you mentioned that. The whole... One of the, the things that they were trying to do at the time, because Blockbuster was still around, is they wanted a movie that you could take out all the most of the sex and, and have it still R-rated. have a movie. And and then they were selling it to Blockbuster. So okay, so th- this was there was and a, it was running it. on Showtime and shit like that. It would run on yeah. cable. They, so they would do it. They would do a hardcore and softcore version of it. Yeah. basically. Yeah, you could Actually, go they, buy the they DVD. Did, they did. They did a you know softcore, double X for like hotel rooms, and then triple X, and so. Um, anyway, so I, I, I wrote it and we got it done and, uh, and then after we finished and I was actually on set, the first time I was on set was somewhere over by Echo Park. There's this kind of like, this is a guy with OCD. Oh yeah, well the LCD didn't kick didn't kick in here because oh. it was lesbians. Oh okay, it was a lesbian okay, scene. okay, okay. Oh okay, okay. so there's the, there's 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 a void in your OCD. It's with, homophobia. Is his OCD? He's, he's homophobic. His OCD <laughs> makes him homophobic. Well, I mean, I I, I well, jizz is different than yeah. Like, no, 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 I hear so, you. So, but you're on set. Are you only on set for the scripted stuff? Or are you on set for everything? Well, I, I wasn't on a set, a set for. I I don't know why he wanted me at this particular scene, but there's some kind of I don't know where it is over by Echo Park. It looks like kind of like a old. You know, I don't know what the hell it is. It's some, it's some mission type thing, and they were filming the scene between Carmen Lavana and uh, Genevieve Jolie. It was a lesbian, and the, and they did the scissors and two women that aren't in the business anymore, I believe. Oh, Genevieve Jolie is. She might be. I don't yeah. know. Um, and update. Uh, and so the scene was Where all these pirates. It, it's like a pilot pirate bachelor party, and okay. all, all the guys are basically standing around like watching you know these these women have sex Mm -hmm. and so that was my first scene that i was on set and i was just funny because yeah you're taking notes or why do they want you there as a writer to take notes i I, they they wanted actually i was running lines with some of the actors and and uh, and i i don't know why scissor ye are yeah (laughs) (laughs) scissor ye are trimmed bush i see yar boner yar But those, th- if you listen to the movie, those are some of the ty- types yeah, of stuff. That's, too. Yes, yeah. So meaty cock yar, <laughs> beefcake yar. What's my motivation, writer? Boners. Your motivation is boners <laughs> and getting as many in your mouth as you can. Yeah, John's blowing up over there. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. So anyway, you got that here. You need help with the. No, what happened is I got a huge sound burst. Oh, yes, sorry. you did. Oh, sorry. All right. Yeah, no more R's. Oh, sorry. All, All right. right. So. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and so I was on this, the set doing that, and then, you know, I was realizing at the time, I was like, you know, I, I did this freelance thing, but I was like, I want to get into this, because, I, I mean, I, I it, it was interesting, and I, you know, I'm a guy, I, I love seeing beautiful women, and, yeah. uh, and so um, I said to him, I said, do you have any job openings there? Do you need somebody to do something? And he's like, uh, can you uh, project manage, you know, our editors and graphic designers and the entire company? And I was like, uh, uh, same thing. Never done it before and never done anything like that. And I said, yeah, of course I can do that. You know why you know you in the end and you did it right. You did it and you did fine, right? I'm gonna guess. I, I mean, I, I good it, enough. I, I I mean, uh, I didn't. I, well, I I we 
actually it was all right because they were making two movies at the time when I got there a month. Okay. And and so my my job was to get it up to five. So okay. I I made I I was I know what my position really was. I was the punching bag between you know the owners and everybody else. Sure, but you sure. know what? The, I, the reason why I know you were going to succeed at it is because you tried to direct that fucking thing, and, <laughs> and, and it with that you you took the hardest job in college. Yeah, and nothing was ever going to compare to that train wreck. So you were going to be totally you were fine at that point. It was going to be totally fine. But that's interesting. Can I ask you a question? So on those sets, how many actual not not remove the performers, but how many people? On average, was would it take to make uh, those scenes like production wise? How many production people well, were there? Well, Pirates is different than any other porno yeah. movie. Well, I'm just made. curious. I mean, was it a full on production like no, you, like no. 30, 40 people, twenty people, ten people? I mean, it, for Pirates, it was it was a full deal. It was a film crew. Yeah, it was a film. I mean, there was catering. There was, it was the biggest budgeted porno movie ever. It was at the time. It was oh, okay. It was like a million bucks. Oh, okay. This is no. They sh- had okay. CG. Right. They had CGI in it that was halfway okay. decent. Like they, yeah. they okay. made literally. If you take the sex out of that movie, you have a not a to B. shit on your writing, yeah. but you have a B, yeah. B minus pirate movie. Okay. That you can watch. Got it. Okay. I didn't realize that's how big it was. Okay. All I mean, right. the actors took it. Ser- I mean, to me, it looked like. I went to the premiere, everybody. Is that why I know about this? Did you ever post pictures of this back in the day or something? Probably. I didn't post pictures of the movie, but no, I mean, no, the premiere or something like. I yeah, think that yeah. was pre, like you. That was yeah, there was pre- no posting. Yeah, it yeah. was like uh, I don't think I was on Twitter yet. But yeah. go ahead, because we'll get oh, to the, we'll get to the premiere. Right, the premiere so anyway, was fucking hilarious. All right, so there you are. So so now you're a project. So you do your thing. Yeah. So I'm working with the editors and you know the, the graphic designers and 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 doing all that shit and. Um, and, it, you know, it, it was a strange experience because, you know, the walls are covered in magazines of all the contract girls naked and, do, you know, doing stuff. And you're walking through basically a, – it's like a corporate office. Cubicles, you, cubicles carpet. Yeah. and Sterile lighting. You know, it's, it's for, for, for lessen, fluorescent lighting. And uh, – but you're just – it's like walking – imagine just walking through, like, you know, office space type of office. Yeah. And then you're just saying, oh, my God, oh, oh, <laughs> fucking come in my eyes. This oh, is the ed- God. This is just the edit ba- these yeah. are the edit bays? Yeah. 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 It's the edit bays you're talking about? Are they filming well, as well? Well, you can just hear it throughout the whole office because the guys just were, they were, they were trying to make sure the sound was right. Or they're <laughs> watching a scene over and over again yeah. or something, or they're just fucking. But they don't know. film on there, there as well, or do they sometimes? Did they oh, sometimes? no. They, they, I mean, that they did, they did film, corporate. like, just. Not really. I mean, yeah. they did little like behind the scenes type stuff. But, but yeah, nothing. okay, nothing. They don't film sex. You would just office. go around a corner and be like, okay, all right, sorry. Oops. And, yeah. No, I mean, crossing. The titties would come out in the office. That I mean, that that was very common for um, no reason or because it was. Requested. I mean, like you know, like j- because you know you have all these different guys, that, you know, editors that are yeah. you know kind of nerdy and like, and so like there was this guy named Robbie D. Who is like, you know, he's just like, ah, fuck. I just want to fuck, fuck, and fuck anything that moves, fuck. You know, he was like, and he he loved to fuck with people, and like, he, you know, and he, you know, be like, ah, he tell one of the porn just go put your titties on his head while he's editing, you know, like, uh, okay, that yeah, kind of there stuff. was that okay. kind of stuff, you know, practical joke stuff, but typical um, office stuff, yeah, office office humor, dude, office yeah. humor, yep. yeah, exactly, you know, just to, to break up the monotony of, oh my god, so fucking blow it on my titties. <laughs> so you, so you were project manager at the time of the premiere. By the time the movie came out, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was there. Uh, the the movie was in post production. I think when. I had started as a as a pro. They were editing the movie when I was a project manager. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about pornography, I'll just a little bit that I do know. They don't 
premiere their movies like regular movies. Do you know what I mean? There's, it's very rare. It's, it was non-existent before. Like you could go see if Tom Cruise is appearing in Mission Impossible. They have a red carpet screening. It's a big premiere event at the Man's Chinese Theater. Across the street from the Man's is a very famous theater called the Egyptian. That's where they had the premiere of Pirates. Oh, no shit. They okay. had a All red right. carpet event. Everyone dressed up. Evan Stone, who's in the movie, wore his pirate costume to yeah. the premiere. America. And uh, we, me, Matt Dittman, Ryan Brown, and uh, a couple other people, uh, I think probably Trevor and somebody else, but we went to the premiere, and it was weird. It was interesting. Weird in what way? Weird. Well, just like you realize 10 minutes into the movie that you're watching a porno movie with a bunch of people in a theater. You've essentially gone to a porno theater. So this was the... <coughs> The 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 uh, double X cut or, or whatever this was like the full like there this was it, not it was it was full triple X I triple mean it, X, was, it okay. was loads on and yeah and, and so okay. you go you leave the because we sat uh, with a space between each of us because we didn't w w this was just weird you know we didn't know how to behave so I go to the bathroom we didn't know how to behave at some point during the movie and all the women that are in the movie are in the lobby of the theater they're all dressed up like they're going to prom and none of them are in watching the movie and I'm well, like that yeah. makes total sense yeah. And they were like all smoking cigs and hanging out, so I just like weaseled by them. But but afterwards, this is my favorite part of the whole thing because I just found this out the other day. Afterwards, there's a guy like doing Entertainment Tonight type porno coverage. A I think probably AVN News. Or AVN something. News, okay. Yeah. So we're coming out and they want quotes. You know what I mean? How they attack people coming out. Like, what did you think? Oh my God, best movie I've ever seen. Right? You know they do that for yeah, a lot yeah. of. So this guy comes up and he's asking people for quotes. He gets to Matt Dittman. Matt Dittman has not been on the show yet. He will be on the show. He's very funny. He owns a bar called Crawford's, which I talk about nonstop. Uh, uh, he's one of the your bachelor party night. We, yes. all, we all know. Yes. We all, we yeah. all, we're all familiar. Yeah, and he is one of the funniest people I know. And mm -hmm. he comes out, and they're like, hey, what did you think of the movie? He goes, and he says something like, uh, this is a swashbuckling extravaganza full of co cocks and vagina. He goes, I don't know much, but this movie chokes it to the pube. And like... Whatever. So he walks away because this is just him off the top of his head being a psycho. He walks away from that. The next day, they're trying to find uh, footage of the premiere or whatever. So Trevor goes online and goes to the website. On the website is Matt going, this movie chokes it to the pube. And then his head explodes. And then the explosion comes back to a pirate's <laughs> skull and crossbones. And so they used his face. And if you look in Urban Dictionary, no shit. You can look it up. Choke it to the pube is online in the <laughs> Urban Dictionary. And it says uh, the act of, you know, fellatio all the way to where the pubic region, till your mouth is pressed against the pubic region, or your lips touch the pubic region. Does he get credit for it? Said by a fan coming out of the movie Pirates. Oh, my God. So he do they don't say Matt Dittman. Right. But that's fucking that's him. Hilarious. Chokes it to the pube. I mean, dude, it was so... Funny, dude, to know that he's like that's like Henry Phillips being <laughs> yes. in a, you know what I mean, being in a Trivial Pursuit card. It's just so funny to me, man. And that premiere was so weird and everything. And I went up to Evan Stone, one of the actors, the guy who wore the pirate outfit in the movie, and I was like, "Hey, man, you did a great job in that movie." Like you would say to any actor, and he lit up. He was like, "You think so, man?" Like just a dude who was like, "Thanks." Like he, you could tell he had more fun making that movie than he did doing anything else. And that's why I was happy. I mean, big, biggest budgeted, but also probably highest grossing uh, porno movie to date at that point. You know what I mean? I don't even know how they make money now with the Internet. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't either. I'm not sure and won't be getting into that really. But um, uh, yeah. So anyway, you, Pirates 1 comes out. It's a hit. It wins awards at AVN. Do you go to the AVNs? Yeah, I did go to the AVN Awards. That's the uh, Adult Video News Awards, right? Yeah. Network Awards, something. And um, usually hosted by Doug Stanhope in Las Vegas. No, well, yeah, different comics. Uh, Kate Quigley's hosted at Doug Stanhope, Dave Attell, like Jim Norton. Jim Norton. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Those are uh, there. I, I watch them. They're on Showtime, and they, it's always uncomfortable. The the comics are really funny, but it's almost as if the people in the audience either don't get it, or they can't figure out that they're being made fun of, or they can't. Or they just don't give a they, shit. Yeah, like so many award shows. It's it's really it, well. It's everybody really is is wasted and on yeah, some yeah, like they're all they're all plowed up or they're all coked up or yeah, jade right. down or whatever. And yeah. what was yeah. the last one you just said? I said jade down. Um, like well, what does that mean? Smoke a joint, I think. Oh, jade Eddie, Eddie, down. J J down. J down. Yeah, yeah. Well, marijuana sticks. When I was my, with, yeah, that's, that's your that's your big let's one. Let's get when, that one when, in when Urban Dictionary. When I was with Eddie, I go, we're going to this backyard party. Anybody going to be jaying down out there? And he goes, yeah, they're going to jay down and coke up. And I was like, <laughs> and just hearing Eddie talk about drugs and alcohol is funny to me. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, okay, so I'm sorry. Pirates comes out, greatest yeah. movie of all time. AVNs, you're there. Yeah, and I, I went to the I, – well, I, I never enjoyed anything that I did. I mean, I, it was like – It was even a when I, I, I was in charge of the premiere. I had to set up the rental and all, all that kind of stuff. and All the boring shit. And right. I, I, I say that again. All, All the boring shit, right? That's the the nuts the and bolts. Tedious. The nuts and bolts. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so uh, basically, uh, I didn't enjoy it, and and I'm setting up. You know, I had to do the the, the convention booth, so all my time was consumed with all that tedious stuff. And um, and so I, you know, when I got to the night of the the award show, I got so wasted. Like I don't, I don't remember really anything that happened. I all I heard was I, 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 I kissed Jesse Jane on the mouth. Nice, congratulations. And, and enjoy your, <laughs> enjoy your piece. Yeah, but I don't remember that. That's, that's like yeah, <laughs> like there's a, no photograph. I, with Matt Dittman's exploding head next to it. Unfucking <laughs> <laughs> believable. Choke it to the pube. <laughs> so, I, I, I remember very little of it, and uh, I mean I do remember. It wasn't blackout, but I right. I, did yeah. you, were you did you go on stage? Uh, I think I did at the end when uh, they announced the because it won, won best picture. I think so, yeah. And I was I remember being depressed because I didn't I didn't win best screenplay. I was gonna say, did you get an award? Do you have an award at I, all? I yeah. do. I won for Pirates too. You did, okay. Yeah, and uh, but I I don't I, I actually told my my boss I said you keep it keep it with the other awards keep the award you know company with them and. So I, I didn't give a shit at that point. And, um, so safe to say, because you just uh, 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 stated that, you actually made a second one. Did you only write the second one, or did you bump it up? Did you champ up on the next, on Pirates 2? Wait, did, did he get on camera? No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> did you end up directing Pirates 2 no, 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 and all no, that no, no, or no. you just wrote it again? No, the, 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 movie, the movies were directed by June, who was the owner of the company. Oh, uh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so you just wrote them. Yeah, I Got just, I, 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 just so you to be uh, clear about it, I had nothing to do with like the the story. I just I, he had this, the general story. I just wrote all wrote it. Okay, got it. Oh, okay, got it, yeah. got it, got it. Got but it. then for the second one, the second one, I had to. He really, he really wanted to be like a, a real movie. With I mean that the first one was written so quickly and it was uh, the, just sloppy and and I just you know I did what I could in the time. I mean I was I was clinically depressed, you know, so I was just doing whatever I could. And uh, the second one, literally, I I I, I I I had a problem production managing. I I got to the point. I mean, I had I had no relationships when I worked at, at, at Digital Playground. Like I I never had. I didn't even have sex. I mean, uh, I was so depressed. And I got to the point where I was just I was just feeling the pressure of production managing. Everybody was you know upset because of the, the deadlines were too tight and all this kind of stuff. And all I remember is I just I just said I want to fucking die. I've had it. I'm I'm losing my sight. 
like I, you know, this path that I thought would would save me and uh, and you know make money for me isn't really working out. Right. And I just remember one day we had to take the uh, the master copies of the videos to the DVD replication place. So that was one of my jobs that I did. I drove, I had to drive to the city of industry, and I just remember driving there, crying in the middle of the day. And I called my mother and I just said to her, "Mom, I gotta die. You gotta let me go." You just have to. I just don't want to live anymore. I, I just don't like life. I I I'm miserable, and and uh, of course she said no. You 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 gotta you know you gotta pull yourself out of this. And so I I ended up. Exp you know the only thing I could think of was I you know I I want to be a good human being, a compassionate, loving human being that you know uh, cares about living creatures and this earth and uh, and the only thing that I could was interested in I studied it in college was Buddhism and so I started going into Buddhism and, and meditating and then I later became a part of this Buddhist organization and uh, and that helped me you know get through the rough times okay yeah and um, you know and I, I started understanding realizing you know causality and the cause that you make and the effects that happen from it and so I started analyzing I was, you know, I was working in a porn company and, you know, I, 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 because of documentaries like Pornocopia, everybody thinks, oh, every, it's all fun and, you know, everybody's having great sex and, and everybody, you know, there's no problems. And, but the, the, the truth is the industry has a lot of, I mean, all industries have problems, but, but this perpetuates a lot of, of, of suffering because, you know, the women and the men, you know, they do get tested for, I don't know what's happening now because they got rid of AIM, that's adult industry medical, and but they get tested for gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV, but they didn't get tested for herpes, uh, syphilis. Um, and the truth is, and this is what I was told, is that herpes isn't tested for because everybody has it. Oh, good. So herpes. So it's a useless test because they already know. Yeah, they already have it, so that's useless. Uh, you know, HIV is important because that's, you know, serious because there's no cure. And but so to people like me, herpes is serious, but I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I know AIDS is much worse. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, um, and so, uh, and the other thing is, you know, uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia is, 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 is Curable. rampant. You yeah, know, everybody's getting gonorrhea. And, and that's mainly because a lot of the performers, you know, they do porn so that they can uh, basically advertise their escorting services. And and so, you know, it's 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 for it's for what do they call it? Side cash, side hustle. Well, so basically, you're doing side hustle, they're yeah. doing that to make money elsewhere. Is what they're yeah, doing because it for. they, they okay. do porn and they get higher rates when they they strip and okay and all this stuff. But I mean, they make a lot of money doing high end escorting. Okay, yeah. all right. So, um, which I believe is something that people definitely do not know. You know what I mean? Unless you're getting escorts or you're in that industry. I knew that some of I I had I know that's I knew that some of them would like do celebrity stripping and stuff like that. Well, they yeah, would, that, they would tour that's where I thought they made their money. Yeah. yeah, but no, I didn't know about the escort thing. But it makes sense when you say it out loud. You go, well, yeah, of, of course. course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the truth is, I don't know. I mean, uh, these are things that were told to me by people in the industry, right? And so. Uh, you know, I never uh, saw the escorting. I just knew that, that, that you know, they, uh, you know, like a director would say, yeah, she's escorting tonight or something like that. Or, um, and so you have that factor. You have the factor. I mean, every everybody does drugs because they're in pain, you know, and and so there's a lot there's a lot of pain, and because of you know it, the, the 
thing that we all know is that uh, most of the women and, and a lot of men, they come from some kind of trauma in their life, and that's why they're they're in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so there's that aspect, and and then you know uh, the comp. You know, I, uh, my issue with it is you know you when you commodify an intimate act like sex, y- you create a situation where um, people end up doing things they really don't want to do just to pay the rent or because they want to, you know, buy an Xbox or <laughs> whatever. Jesus. Or whatever Xbox. it is. You know, they'll do a gangbang. They don't really, they, they really want to do a gangbang. Right. That's not their thing. They're just doing it for yeah, the. They just, they're doing it because they got to make money. And so that's my issue is, is it's just like, you know, if people love having sex and, and doing that, that's fine. Just don't do it for money because that because the money makes you go, I got to do this. But money makes everything shitty. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you have to think about. That's why we don't pay ourselves for this podcast because we. <laughs> but I mean, I love doing stand up, but I mean, <clears throat> money is it's garbage money. You know, it's, it's not. There's no it good should money. be better for that. That's a paid performance. If there's paid people in the room and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But back to the podcast, not paying ourselves is because we just believe. People we love it so much. Mm-hmm. People deserve our voices. We d- we think that if we took this podcast <laughs> away, that America might shut down. Yeah, pretty good chance. Pretty good chance. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. So so, that being said, was that your kind of come to realization thing where you got out of that business at that point, or did you? Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that that was it. I mean, you, all these things you're talking about. I'm assuming this is starting to build up to a certain point. You're doing that. You're doing that. You're you're well, you're I doing mean, the Buddhism stuff, and you're saying to yourself, you know, I got to do something else in my life. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it was it was hard. Th- things would happen. Like I would like I, I'll give you an example. Like one one of the persons in the industry told me she was telling me that she was feeling an enormous amount of guilt because a lot of the girls that don't make it in the industry, which is like eighty percent, yeah, you know, they like do, anything, they do one or two scenes, they end up committing suicide. Oh. And it's so a real dark, 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 dark business. But I'm ass- okay. Yeah, I, I won't assume as to why they do it. But anyway, continue. So you, this yeah, is somebody's so telling I you. I would that. hear things like that. They didn't sink in at the time. I mean, I, yeah. I felt that it was horrible to hear that. But I, it was just like you know, I, I I almost couldn't deal with that. That was like really painful to hear. And then, and then I would be on set. And here's a funny story because I I know John wants to hear this, but <laughs> you know, I, at the time I was suffering horribly from OCD, germophobia. I, you know, I was just, it, it, it's a weird place to be in porn and, you know, and germs. Yeah. And germs. And Not germs exactly. Literally cleanliness. flying across the room. Yeah. 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 You know, projectile. Don't blacklight yourself when you leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, basically, um, I was on set for this, this, uh, shoot way of the dragon. It was an Asian theme. Uh, video and Penny Flame was there, and she uh, she's been on Celebrity Rehab and and stuff. She's and, uh, pr- she very pretty famous. Okay, yeah, I'm not I'm not up to speed actress. on the only one that I knew was Jesse Jane. That right. I'm, not, I'm not up to speed on too many. Continue. Right, and so um, I was having a really bad OCD day, and Penny Flame had this like tuberculosis like type of cough. She's just like hacking up all over the place. Delish. <laughs> and and, and it, she was phlegm, and it was really horrible. And and I felt so sorry for her. She was and she was smoking too. Like, oh, good, <laughs> good. And uh, and so she's got to do the scene with Scott Nails, and I I'm doing the behind the scenes. That was one of the thing I did the behind the scenes camera. That was just a way to make a little extra uh-huh. money on the side. And uh, I'm sitting, kind of you know, capturing the scene from a behind the scenes angle. So Scott Nails, you know, Penny Flame is, 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 you know, on all fours, and Scott Nails is standing on the bed, and he blows his load all over her face. Mm-hmm. 
And she literally, she starts gagging and like coughing, having this horrible face. She's got cum all over her face. And she runs out onto the balcony naked, like just fucking hacking up a lung. And Scott's just like, what the fuck? And like, and then Scott's like holding his, he's got a nine inch cock. It's, it's huge. And I'm sitting in the corner. Congrats. And, and just kind of sitting there. And he's, he's kind of like, Penny Flame went out the door where, near where I was sitting with the camera. And Scott Nails is kind of still jerking himself off a little bit. I don't know why. He just, but anyway, and he literally, his cock was about five inches from my face, covered in cum. And I was like. Why, why, but were you, why, though? He was stuck in a corner, and Scott was just standing there, and he couldn't back up oh, anymore. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. I thought you were a little bit further back, so you no. were that close. Okay, got it. Yeah, right. and literally, I, I, I started going, oh, my God. Like, I literally, I had a panic attack. OCD? There's some dude's boner in your face? Like, get it out of here. He just didn't know what to do with himself, so he just kept. I think, I, I think that's probably a habit. You like know, it, it, it's you like know. a machine; it just keeps going when it's done. <laughs> Dude, sometimes. But uh, yeah, <laughs> talk about you personally. Don't need to know. No, no, I'm not talking about me personally. I'm just talking about those things I've seen on the internet. No, okay. Of yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, Continue. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I was having a panic attack, and and, and those kind of things would happen, and I was, and I, I was just seeing the, the suffering. You know, like she really shouldn't have been there, sick, no. and like, but obviously she needed the money. Yeah. You know, and so that reminded me again. You know. The commodification of the act of sex is, you know, is, is I think it, it can be harmful. So, um, so was that nine inches, that dripping nine inches, your moment? That was it? No, it wasn't. I mean, that I, was like I, the beginning actually, of it. That was actually in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was the breaking point. Nope. No, no, that was not a breaking point. Just a dripping point. Okay, yeah. good. I mean, there, there was just an underlying like pain and like depression through the whole time I was working there, but. What happened was is, is because of that moment where I called my mom and said, I want to commit suicide. And she said, no, you can't do that because she was the only person I, you know, I didn't want to hurt her by right. committing suicide. And that's why I asked her permission. And and so I'm uh, very word logic. I, I, I no, no, it was good logic. Trust uh, me, look, that was man, probably the look, best thing was, you could have done. I was just going to say that's probably uh, at least your mom, you know, is worth her weight to say, no, dude, don't do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would. I don't know what I would have done if she had said, "Yeah, you better do that." She would never would have. Jesus that's Christ. why it worked yeah, out the way it God, did. Yeah, dude. Uh, what kind of mom is like? Yeah, well, you know what? It, probably you know a what? good never idea. Never mind. We we saw what that what what that gets you across the street from my house. Whole oh, other yeah. day, whole other story. So anyway, yeah, so there right. you are. You're are, you're uh, you're obviously it starts there. Let me just then, say, my mom is a, a wonderful person. I just I don't I don't want to. She's, she's no, you didn't. You you, that you didn't. clearly your you mom is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, so so what happened was is I I. I just, the, the, you know, I didn't want to be a production manager. It was to try. Okay. I, I just realized that I thought it was, you know, uh, that I was going to have, you know, some, com- some. I, I just wanted to have a good working environment where everybody, and I just realized I was just a punching bag. I didn't want to do it anymore. And so my So you boss shit your pants, and as you're running out. No, yeah, okay. I shit my pants. <laughs> and uh, so, um, actually, I did shit my pants again. <laughs> when I got the job, but that's a whole. I was in watching Star Wars, the the, the third one of uh, anyway. So uh, uh, you didn't miss anything if you had to run out with shit in your pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was those ones. Okay. I think I ran out when Darth Vader was became Darth Vader, and oh, so the best Padme part of the movie. dead, and yeah. then he goes, right. "No!" And you're like, "Yes, my shit is coming out right now, yeah, Darth there Vader." There is. He's saying no. You're saying no. I, we're all saying no. We're all so, saying no. Horrible. And so, um. Yeah, and so basically, I just I, I wanted to get out, mm. and so, but my boss really wanted me to write pirate pirates uh two, 
So he said, I, I will pay you the same amount as a production manager just to work on Pirates. So did, and did you have to be there? Or could you write from home? He and wanted you could get me out? in the office. I don't oh, know why. So you're he wanted, kind of I guess trapped just there. to make sure I was. I don't know what it was. He just wanted me because in the office. Because if they have right. to be miserable, you have to be miserable. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I had to train the new project manager. Oh, okay. So that that was the other part of it. All so right. So you, you write this one. There's more R's and scissoring and I, all that literally, stuff. Literally, right? I was researching, researching it. And I mean, seriously, researching. had stacks like, of research books. I had books and like learning about all the different pirates, like Blackbeard, and you know. Was this going to be another uh, like high budget one, like another million dollar one? It, or it no? was actually more than the first one. So okay, it, so it was, they were trying okay. to up their game. They yeah. they had there was I mean, as far as success with a porno movie, pirates had the most success of any okay. porno movie. Like everybody, and like when you said when they did, and I know they've done that with other pornos where they take the sex out or they, yeah. they make it softcore so they can show it on Showtime or you can rent it at, at movie stores or whatever, but but Pirates really kind of fucking started this, like, well, wait, they made a movie movie. So is the concept of Pirates 2 in this way, bigger, better, which is why they I put more money was towards it, was like, make it bigger, bigger. Bigger, better boners. Make it better. Bigger, cool better boners. boners. So you so you finish it, do you finish all the way, do you go all the way to the finish line with this one? Like, you not only just you, all the way to the edit bay, to the screenings, all that kind of stuff, uh, or well, when did you? At that point, I, I because I wasn't being the project manager anymore, I really wanted to get out. I was practicing Buddhism. Okay. I was very hardcore about it. I was trying to make compassionate causes in everything I did in my life, and I felt like it was a conflict sure, working, yeah. working in porn. Especially and when you had the feelings you did about how negative most of it is. And yeah, yeah, be. yeah, it was just, it was... It was a, it was a conflict, and and then the other problem is you know when you I, I was still watching porn at the time, but uh, you know it's it was just like so anyway it was just a reminder that I needed to change my life, and so I wanted to get out. I needed to make money, and I I made decent money as as as, as a writer. I mean I. I I don't know, but I, I'm assuming that I was the highest paid writer and of, of any porno movie. Yeah, I would definitely assume. for the for the sake of our podcast, we're going to go with that. Yeah, you yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a, that's I, I a fact. Maybe, no one's going to research, so it doesn't matter. Uh, here, I, well, I'm on IMDb. Turns out you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, no, it's fine. No. So, so you, um, you finished that one, uh, and and you're, when did you actually get out of the business? Was that was that it? Was this Pirates Two it for you at some point? Did they kind of come to a head? What happened was is basically uh, I wrote Pirates 2 as a freelance guy, and uh, and so I thought that was it. And I, I was actually – I was living in Santa Clarita at the time, and um, I was looking – I, I did a brilliant move. Uh, right before the Great Recession, I basically quit. I could have stayed with the company mm -hmm. a, a, as a writer or anything else, but mm -hmm. I, I was just like, I want to – I want to do things that help people. I yeah. want to, you know, uh, and so. I will say that uh, some pornography does help people. So let's not bash it entirely. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, uh, yeah, so I left. And then uh, I had another rupture again. Um, basically, so I left in 2007, wrote Pirates in 2008. In December, uh, actually in July of 2008, I, I basically had a realization I need to stop driving. Oh, okay. And and I and I was uh, I was just, it wasn't an incident that was that was dramatic. All it was is I was I was making a left to go into a Starbucks on on uh, Magic Mountain Parkway, and I just, I just this biker just kind of went in front of my car. The biker didn't care. He didn't like you know. It was just a, I was going very slow, and it just freaked me out that I didn't see him coming. Okay. 
And so he just went on. He didn't even look back. He didn't care. He didn't, uh, he didn't have to swerve or anything. Uh, but I thought, you know what? I, I want to stop driving before I hurt somebody. I, 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 would, I would definitely commit suicide if I hurt somebody because, you know, yeah. I didn't stop driving soon enough. So here you are in Southern California, which is where everybody takes cars uh, three blocks from wherever they're going. This is not a walking city by any stretch. So once you make that decision, how did that uh, – what, what – what changes in your life, drastic changes, became at that point? How were you able to well, where I was reconcile with yourself and what and how were you going to move forward at that point? Well, at, at that point, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I was just I was applying for any job that I could get, and uh -huh. the Great Recession hit, so I didn't get shit. Yeah, it was and, fucking And so uh, everybody was scared of hiring people, and and, and so I – and then – I, I couldn't drive, but I, the driving wasn't too bad where I lived because I could walk everywhere. It was okay. really, it was fine. It would, if I would have been making money and I wasn't driving, I could have been there and it would have been fine. But so I just made a decision. I said, you know, I was paying really high rent and, you know, I was making no money. So I was like, I got to move in with my mother and stepfather. And this is Northern California. Yeah. Well, they, they lived in a place called Nevada City, which is on the way to Reno and oh, okay. in between Sacramento and Reno. OK. And so. I uh, I was like I gotta and I just said can I move in with you because I I can't afford to live here anymore I'm just you know I I you know, basically just you know burning money I didn't have because I wasn't didn't have anything coming in so I I moved in with them and uh, you know uh, I wasn't driving and I was trying to figure out what the hell I was gonna do with my life I was thinking of becoming a lawyer a, a human rights lawyer and uh, and every attorney I spoke with just said you're gonna hate it, so I didn't do that. <laughs> and then, and then I was gonna, I was thinking maybe I could do radio if I'm blind. You know, I can keep just keep doing radio. And and radio, uh, John. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I I, I applied for this uh, this school, and it was just garbage. And I just I ended up making a documentary. Uh, I stopped this going to that school because I wanted to make this documentary. And and then. Um, and then I, I was dating. I almost got married uh, because I met this, th this actually this girl that I was a TA for at UCLA when I was uh, uh, you know there. She was one of the students, and we had kept in contact on Facebook, and we started talking. And I was telling, letting her know what's going on in my life, and and uh, you know I it was really crazy because she was like she was just she said the things like you know I said I'm going blind and deaf and. She said, "That's okay. I'll, 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 you know, explain things to you when we're together." And I was like, I was so moved by that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow. I, I couldn't believe that another woman could have so much compassion for me because she liked you, man, and because just because, you know, you're, because people when people care about you, it's hard to see that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it, you you think why would anyone want to stick with somebody like me if I'm if this is the in inevitable outcome? Why wouldn't people be running for the hills? And it turns out not everybody is a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, look, someone actually cares. Yeah, and it, it was beautiful in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think when we started, because she lived on the East Coast and I, I lived in California, she, you know, we met each other for Thanksgiving, had a very romantic time and like, but like, you know, I couldn't see her. One time she was like bending over, brushing her hair and I ran into her and she's like, what the fuck? You know, and she was like, She's like, you almost took off my head. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't see, you know. And right. She forgets or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I could tell. And so slowly things yeah. started to come out. And then, like, you know, everything I did, like, she, you know, I, I, I send her a Christmas card. And she's like, why did you send me this card? Why didn't you send me more cards? Why didn't you put more stickers on? Why did you? And then she started, like, just unleashing. She was like, you're a fucking loser. You have no job. You're trying to make this documentary. And, it's, and you're not going to go anywhere. Uh, and, I guess and I was wrong. Everyone is a piece of shit. 
<laughs> that, that, that's why it was funny. I was like leading up to You're that. like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, John. You're right. You know, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful people. So obviously that that disintegrated. Yeah, and basically, I mean, uh, you know, that was the the first time I had ever heard I had a small penis, and uh, well, you were unaware okay. you were well, unaware of that before. Well, <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I heard, you, you I worked heard, in porn, you've I, seen I, other I, dicks. That was the first time I, I heard I had a small penis. Before that, I heard I had a big penis. So I think exactly, yeah, you're yeah, you're yeah, an average yeah. guy, and yeah, she was just yeah, being cruel. Yeah, so yeah. so anyway, um, yeah, so that deteriorated and then I ended up going to this this school because I wanted I was so you know I really cared about the peace building and conflict transformation and I went to this school uh, in Vermont because uh, I, I really you know that's what I wanted to do with my life is be uh, you know uh, either a, a mediator or a, uh, a peace builder and mm. so I, I went to resolution and um, and so I, I, I went to Vermont, and it just turned out to be a disaster. There was so much corruption in the school. The, like the, you know, all of the uh, uh, board members were Harvard members. It had nothing, you know, their ex-Harvard people had nothing to do with the school. They were basically making money off the students going abroad. Where was Bernie that. Sanders to protect you? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And actually, Bernie. He, actually he, he was right down the street from the school because his office was right there. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. so that was the burn, iron feel burn. Yeah, I, I didn't feel the burn at that time. But, um, so to, can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're obviously doing some traveling. You're not, and and I, I'm I'm guessing at this point too. You're not. So where where is where was your eyesight at that point? Where is your eyesight now? Like you can you are you can still see s a little bit. Yes or no? Yeah, I, I can still see. I mean, I can see. I mean, it's difficult because we have a, a large window here. Okay. A lot of sun, so it it's you know creating no contrast. So okay. But I, just to give you a brief overview, it, it start. You know, I, when I was a child, I could see perfectly. Okay. I, I could see. It was. I remember it. It was. I could see the stars perfectly and everything. It was. It was, it was amazing. And then as I, you know, got into my preteen years, I started to lose the the ability to see and, and low lighting. Okay. And it got worse through high school and got worse in in uh, undergrad. And then in undergrad, I started to, to develop. And I, the other thing, I was smoking a lot, which is the worst thing you can do for retinitis pigmentosa. Oh, okay. And that's the eye part of Usher syndrome. And uh, and so I started to get these flashing in my eyes all the time, and that was hard, you know, because you're driving, you you think you saw something, you know. Like, okay. And uh, and so it got worse there, and then uh, uh, and basically, I it was pretty stable in my mid 20s and then at 30 I realized I need to stop driving and then um, let's see and, and I I still even with all that I still with glasses uh, I had 20-20 vision I could read you know and and then when I got to that master's program in Vermont I had a little trouble seeing in, in, in different types of lighting and then when I because I was going to do uh, my thesis uh, for my master's degree in Mexico I went to Mexico for nine months and lived there and I had a lot of trouble because the sun was so bright, and then you go into these very dark buildings with no windows, and they just have these gas station bathroom light bulbs, Jeez. you know, yeah. and it was just horrible for me to see. And so um, I was getting to the point where I realized that I was down there, and I wasn't making any money, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't speak Spanish very well, so I went back home to live with my mother and stepfather. And uh, when I got back, that was – I got back in 2013 from Mexico, and I – I realized I started losing my my visual acuity, my distance was going, and then 
in November of 2015, I lost my ability to read a book. I mean, I can still read things now, but it's I can't read anything for an extended period of time. Uh, okay. It's just it's too tedious. It's okay. like I mean, the best way to describe it, I mean, a lot of people describe it with my condition. It's called Swiss cheese. You can, you know, you see through holes, but there, it's not all there. Okay. Uh, mine is not so much as Swiss cheese. As it's like I like to describe it as if you're looking at an, uh, you know, a flat screen TV and you black out like every three pixels like all over the place. It looks like that. Okay. Yeah. Will it ever black out the memory of that guy's nine-inch cock dripping in front of your face? Um, I, I, I think I, that's burned. That is that's burned on the inside of your eyelids. At least it's not burned in, in that in that in that vision. <laughs> that that's in, that's your Swiss cheese. That's all is, you is, can see. Oh yeah, you mean like a cataract? <laughs> yeah, it's his. It's just you're like, hey, how did it take the form of that guy's dick <laughs> right over my eye? Brain. So so right now, so you can see to an extent. It's just yeah. I mean, it's limited. It's, limited, it's okay. like it's it's uh, especially in, in in you know in the dark. It's it's almost it's really hard. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, if there's if there's lights to guide and I have something, it, it helps. You okay. Know? Okay. Um, and you know, I, I use a cane now. Uh, I mean, I haven't had any official training with it. I know the basics of it. You know, he's I, not daredevil yet. Yeah, and I'm I'm just basically. You know, I'm trying to let people know that I can't see because before what I would do is, you know, like in my late 20s, you know, I'd be in a bar or something. I run into somebody and I'd be like, like, oh, I'm sorry. Watch it, dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, people didn't understand it. And I think there were sometimes I didn't even know what happened, you know, because I couldn't see. So now I'm trying to let people know and come to, you know, it's 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 a it's a painful process to lose your vision because. This is how I like to describe it. You see the scene in, at the end of Back to the Future when Mike, Michael J. Fox is playing in the band, right, playing mm-hmm. Johnny Be Good, or actually but the song before Earth Angel, and his, he looks at his hand, and his hand is fading away. Right. My, when I, it's, it's like that. My okay. sight is the world fading away. Okay. So it, it, it's, it's, it's always a constant, you know, you have these fractures, and you, have the, you see the crack in front of you in the, in the darkness that's going to be there, and you're trying to figure out how can I step over this and overcome this, and and that's the struggle is because it, it's it's not like I was in Iraq and I lost my sight like that. Like that, it was just gone, and that's that. That that it's and I have to deal with it. It's like my whole life has been, I want to do something, you know, that that has to do with, you know, visual art, you know, and something, and uh, and so I'm trying to do it. I'm a very visual person, person ironically, and and so I try to do it, and then. I realize I can't do it. Is, is there, are there good ba- good days, bad days, or is it consistently in one direction? Well, the the thing that happened recently is is uh, I, I live with my mother and stepfather in, in the mountains of, uh, of of Central California, and we live uh, it, basically in the middle of nowhere on top of the mountain on a ridge. Right, you're getting fresh air up there, right? It smells good, right? Oh, it smells, smells great. Smells, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, uh, but. The problem is um, it's very isolating, and um, and so anyway, the, the reason I'm telling this story is because I'm living up there. My, you know, my cat just died last week. My dog is dying of congestive heart failure. Uh, I got attacked by uh, my neighbor's dog twice last, you know. My, my, uh, my father has rectal cancer. My stepfather has Parkinson's disease. My mother has skin cancer. And then in the midst of all dealing with all this stuff, I'm sitting and thinking about all this and I'm watching television and I'm, I, I sometimes what I do is I look out of one eye, I close one eye and then I open the other and I look out of the other eye and I go back and forth. 
And for some reason, I did this in the midst of all this. I look in my left eye, and I have these real blurry, like, you know, spots in it. And I was like, here's something new. And Jeez. and it's cataracts. Fucking okay. A. And so that's, like, the newest thing that I'm dealing with now is a, this left eye is uh, – but to answer your question, yes, I do have good days and I have bad days. And I try to – I try to like monitor it and go, okay, did I, what did I eat this day that you know okay. made, made me feel? Well, what was my what were my motions? Where did I go? What did I do? Put in my body, all that shit for exactly. Can it be stress induced? Because you were talking about the, the the smoking and stuff like that it has an effect. Can it, you know, like many things in life, health can be can can go up and down based on how much stress is in one's yeah. life. Oh, or is yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely it all okay, interconnected, interrelated. I mean, uh, stress. And I think one of the reasons it's so bad now is because I, you know, I've been dealing with all these things and, and I just been crushed by it. Mm -hmm. And and I just had this, you know, reaffirmation that life is finite. And I basically, you know, my father, he lives in Nevada. He lives alone. He doesn't go out really except to get groceries. And he basically has said no to life. He doesn't even want to really see me like I think. We talk to each other. We have good conversations. He's a comedian. I try to joke with him, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's our – you know, we talk about movies, and that's our relationship. There's nothing th – it's all surface level. That is, that's not unlike a lot of father-son relationships, just so you're right. aware. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. aware of that, but it, it goes a little farther because he doesn't even really – he never asked me to say, son, come out. That's the shitty thing, yeah, yeah, right there. And I think – And he knows what you're going through, and he's seen that your brother is completely blind now, right? Yeah, he, and I think what it is is <coughs> he has never been able to deal with it. And – and is it is it when you said it was genetic? Is it in it's in your family or just that you and your brother? Okay, let me explain it. Yeah. So the way, I, as far as I know, and I, and I should do more research on it, but I there's no cure, so I'm just like, like why, you oh, know? And okay. and so, so the basic idea of what I know is my mother and father. My mother was a model. My father was an entertainer, and they had uh, not that this has anything to do with their genes, but. Um, my my father had perfect vision. He didn't. He ne to this day he doesn't wear anything but reading glasses. My mother had great vision her entire life until she got into her sixties, and so um, there was no indication. And, and both sides of the family, there was no blindness. There was no deafness. There was nothing. Okay. So what I what I I hear is it's basically they it they both carried a recessive gene, and okay. when they made my brother and I that gene became active. Okay, and got it. So uh, it, the strange thing is that my brother and I both have it. That's really, it's a rare condition. And then it's even rarer that, you, that, you know, we both have it because, you know, you have a brother and sister, one, one brother has, like he has brown eyes, I have blue eyes. Right. So you would think that, you know, something would change, but right. it, it didn't. So, okay. um, but yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So. What what do you so okay? Well, well, I know you did stand up last night. Let's just cut to that for a second. Why did you? Well, I'm sorry, oh, no, I was gonna. I'll say we're leading into the stand up thing. I was gonna say <clears throat> when I first met Brian was two th early two thousands, right? I mean, oh, you guys yeah, are yeah, I, I met while. you. Okay. I met you around two. Th I met you in two thousand five because you came to the. You, I invited you to the Pirates premiere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So yeah. so he was roommates with Matt Dittman. Oh, and, okay. I and, didn't realize that. Okay. And another friend of our, another friend of theirs from Cal Arts, Trevor uh, Boyer, who's a very talented drummer and an amazing musician and uh, a psycho. Um, <laughs> but but um, 
so I met like hanging out with Matt. We were doing comedy, and he's like, and he always told me, you know, about his roommates. And I was like, that sounds insane, dude, because I live by myself. So I was like, you what? You have actually, I lived with Tim at the time, but <laughs> but uh, but every every story he told me about his roommates, I was like, well, they sound insane. And then we started kind of hanging out, and Matt started running that show at the Derby. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a really oh, fun yeah. Monday night comedy show, and everyone would f- show up and stop by, and all kinds of people that came through there are now massive. Al Madrigal, like there was just so many people that rolled through that club that did that that room that were great but so matt's doing all this comedy so brian's like oh yeah i'm gonna because he had this ocd going pretty pretty hardcore at the time and he's like well i'm gonna get up on stage and, and it was a comfortable room meaning everybody there was supportive it wasn't like oh you suck get off the stage or when's my turn like no one was ever angry it was always a fun show and i just remember that's kind of one of the first times i probably saw you and and matt's like he's gonna do this whole ocd bit and i go okay and he just goes up there with rubber gloves and a spray bottle, and he basically sprays the mic stand down and cleans it. And then I can't remember if he even told a joke. Uh, you know, be honest, I was so petrified because, <laughs> because the, the thing is, an, as an one of the things that I've tried to do my entire life, and I think there's another reason why uh, you know it's why people go into acting is you don't like yourself at all, so you 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 get you know uh, you want to hide in a character, right? You yep. know, and you get approval from the audience so that's why i was doing it and so uh at the time i you know i finished directing a play and then i started acting a little bit like an, uh, one of the uh, I, I did 12th night at ucla because they needed a uh, sir toby belch and so I, I did that and i felt great from doing that and i did this experimental piece so i was kind of on a performance high yeah and i was feeling like oh i could do anything i'll do some yeah. fucking comedy. stand up I, is I, a good way to get in front of people and perform and entertain and right but the factor that i didn't think about when because I didn't know anything about comedy, was the factor of it's you. It's it's totally you. Well, the, well yes. It, the way he saw it, and I see what you're saying. There are people who hide in character. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there but are it's the, mostly you, there, yes. There is a Larry the Cable guy. There is, and, and, and there are guys that you think are who they are offstage, but they're different they're not, on stage. Yeah. And there are dudes that tell one-liners that don't have anything to do with their actual existing lives. Right. Like one joke will be about a girlfriend. One joke will be about how he's not married. One joke will be about how he's married. You know what I mean? In the same set. You were trying to have a through line, and when you realized the only way for you to do comedy would be to be yourself. Right. Yeah, and you were terrified. And <laughs> I, and and the, and the truth is, I had absolutely no point of view. I mean, at that time, I was just, uh, you know, I, I was basically, you know, what I did was, I, I loved the imitation of people, you know, and 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 and, and so, um, anyway, so what happened was, is before I even did the comedy set, I called my father because he was a comedian, and I thought he would be a supportive, and and I wanted another another, and once again seeking his approval, you know, I told him I said I'm gonna I'm gonna do some stand up, and he's like, oh, you're gonna fail. But there is some truth in that, by the way. You do fail. He, he, uh, he probably didn't but mean that it the way I'm meaning that it. Is but not, that is not no. how you put that, though. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that's he, he, he's probably not saying it the same way I'm going to say it. No. no. You do fail in comedy. That's the only way to get to where you're going, but that's probably not what he meant. Correct? No. no he, what, what you say in a situation like that is, okay, great, but oh, just so you know. Be prepared. Be prepared for not doing well your first time. It's going to take some work, and then as long as you keep working at it, you will continue to get better. Like, there is positive shit you can say, even if you, in the back of your head, you're like, Geez, you're not a comedian. If that's what you really think, if, as a parent, you're well, like... First off, no one should ever say that because you really don't know. Exactly. Really don't that's know the, the other thing the is like you have no fucking idea, and you have no idea how the point of view is going to come out or if that person's going to be funny or not. Yeah. Some of the funniest people I've ever met in my life could never talk into a microphone. So so I'm assuming you didn't get the pep talk from your dad you were looking for. No. I mean, he, he literally said, oh, you're going to bomb. You're going to bomb. And I said, oh, okay, Christ. well... 
Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. That was okay. it. And, and, and but th- at that time, I didn't know the process at all. I, I I didn't know that that like what you explained. It's part of the process. And you, you know? weren't seeing. You were seeing your comedy around you was Matt Dittman. Yeah. And Matt Dittman, like you said, I never saw Matt have a bad set. Matt had tons of bad sets, but it never got to him, and he never looked like he was miserable on stage. Right. And even afterwards, we never went out to a deli and had a, and cried over our fucking shitty sets. It was like, man, was that awful. And he moved the fuck on. That's why I think Matt doesn't do very much comedy anymore, because he was like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, But, yeah, so that was your – you're seeing that, and you're not seeing somebody who is a, a structured writer or a guy who is – you know, doing a set once and reworking jokes and doing a set again, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I truthfully, I had, I did write stuff out, but I, I you know, I lost it. Like, I, I, I blanked when I got up there, so I just kind of paraphrased it. It was horrible, and I think, I think what my father said did resonate in my mind that I was going to be horrible, but he, he never said, yeah, it's going to be, ho- it's okay, just keep yeah. doing it. Yeah, you know? failing is part of the deal. Like, yeah. you'll be fine. So but the fun, the ironic thing is, we uh, we've talked because you know he's a comedian. I and he knew, he knew Lenny Bruce. He hung out with Lenny Bruce, which oh. is fucking insane to me. And yeah. and yeah. like you know somebody had to Sammy Davis Jr. Like you know w- was was saying you're great, you know, and like Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. They were in the audience and see watching his shows. And That's fantastic, man. And and so you know uh, we would talk about comedy, and later on he said, yeah, bombing is a part of the process. And I think Billy Crystal has a uh, his biography. And we were talking to people. I, I gave it to him just because, you know, I thought he would enjoy reading it. And one of the things Billy Crystal says, I haven't read it, but I guess he says he never bombed. And my mm. dad was like, that's fu- that's bullshit. Well, uh, it's I mean, pers- but that's perception. Uh, th- that's yeah, perce- maybe you in your I mean? own eyes. But, yeah. I, but I agree with your dad. I, th- I don't think anybody can ever say that. Anybody who's done comedy as long as Billy Crystal can never say that they okay. never bombed. Here's the thing. I am not the greatest comedian ever. I, w- I would never say that, right? No, one, I, would, no I, one would say that. Fair enough. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> um, but. And I'm sure, John, you can attest to this. I have, I have, for years, performed with, uh, you know, the, you normally you get involved in a group. Like, a group kind of goes everywhere. You see all the same people. Posse. And every once in a while, you'll be watching that one person on stage, and the other comics are like, they, 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 they've got to know. They got to know that no one's ever laughing, and then we came to the conclusion that they don't know. Some people don't know. They don't see it. They don't see. There is a delusion that drove them to be in it. Yeah. I'm funny. Everyone says I'm funny. Uh, I'm the funniest person yeah. in the room. Always. And I'm not saying Billy Crystal's delusional, but I think that there's an element of delusion that also keeps you in there. Like you don't. You hear the phantom. What we call the phantom laughter. You're like, oh yeah, it went it went great tonight. And you're like, I'm sorry. Were we wa- were we all in the same room? Yeah. Where did but, it go great? What but part? I, I, but the thing is, I don't criticize that. I get it. Whatever whatever you need to do to survive, I get it. Right. But I think that's more that perception of his. There's no way he didn't. There's no way. Right. It's just not possible. Yeah. I, I, you can't do something no one's that 100, long. No that's one's 100. Like, that's no like one. saying I never struck out in a baseball game. I've been playing professional baseball. That's horseshit. Like everybody has yeah. off nights. So when Billy Crystal calls us. We're gonna have to argue with him on this one. I believe I believe that he would have a decent conversation about this. I I I, I I've come around on Billy Crystal. Okay, all right. <sighs> so anyway. all right, so you th- you did it the once. And yeah, it, and I did, not I did it until I, I just saw you again. That was the next time you ever did it. Was when I saw you last night. Yeah, that the, so I, I did it in two thousand four. That was the last time I did it. Okay. And it was because my I, if if it, I I just it's it, it makes me so angry. I mean I joke about it now, but like. 
just just a year or two ago, I was talking with my father, and we had that conversation about Billy Crystal not bombing. He's like, of course you're going to bomb. Every comedian bombs. And I'm like, why didn't you fucking yeah, tell me Yeah, where was that pep talk? Where was it's okay to fail? Well, like, he hadn't yeah. gotten the Billy Crystal book yet. So if that, you had right. given him the Billy Crystal book in 2004, it's it would have been Bill a different conversation. You know what? I'm back, I'm back anti-Billy Crystal now. I'm mad at him again for not writing that book sooner. But so so this 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 bookend of, of stand-up is kind of similar to the baseball player that got hit in the face and broke his jaw. Like, and then the Marlins signed him for one day to let him bat one more time. You know about that story? No, but then what he did retire as a Marlin? Well, yeah, whatever it was. Like, so he was like this heralded rookie. Gets in there. I think the first time he ever got up to bat, Takes he a got pitch take, in, in the face. Uh, he could never. It was like that destroyed him. Like he couldn't play anymore. And then eventually he was like, I want to. I want to basically get over it. And I and it was really cool that whatever organization it was, I was like, you know what? Come on, just we'll we'll sign you for a day. We'll let you get up there because they could see that he was having this. It wasn't just a physical thing. It was an emotional thing. Yeah, he needed that at yeah. bat to, and they to prove to himself, yeah. even if yeah. it was just that one time. He got his at bat and that was it. That's I think that's a really good kind of comparison because you after doing it that one time, you know, it, it didn't seem to be something you wanted to pursue. Right. You weren't like, God, I love stand up. Well, I, I think what it was. I mean, I, I do love stand up and I've always I mean, George Carlin. I, I mean, literally, I, I remember I saw jamming in New York and I, the reason I love jamming in New York because he's talking about war and and all these important issues, uh, you know, social justice, racism. And he's doing it in such a, a humorous way. And it opens our eyes. That's yeah. what he's doing. He's opening our eyes to reality. Yeah. And I, I was I love that, but I didn't know how to do that. Yeah, and well, it's not easy. <laughs> That's <laughs> why. And like I said to him, I go, that was also his like thirteenth HBO special. Do you know what I mean? Like he had he jokes about what he used, what comic he was before he grew the beard and the long hair and started doing all that stuff, right? Like that's the whole thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. But again, it's not easy. It's not easy finding your voice either. And and to, you should never judge yourself takes, for not knowing your voice on day one. Takes years. Could take ten years to find. See, your I voice, would right? say a decade at the least to find your to really find a, your voice in comedy. Yeah, the reason why when I joke about not being successful as a comedian is like I'm comfortable with the stage time that I get now because I'm comfortable with the stuff that I get to talk about on stage. And I had to get to that point where I stopped just telling jokes and I started talking about my real life. And the first time I did it, it did not go well because I was talking about sad things and trying to make them funny. And the only thing that the audience got out of it was, was the sadness. sad part. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew that the, I had to. I just had to. And I was like, if I'm going to stay in this and put up with all this other shit that we all talk about, then I'm going to do it on my own terms. And at least to me, I'm like, it doesn't matter. But I, that, mean, that I may never be on TV. Or but that's the beautiful thing about stand-up, that, it, that if, you're, if, you're, if you go after it and that's what you want to do, uh, it is one of the last places on earth that you can say whatever the fuck you want right. and, and really kind of it be okay. But now we're in a, a time that is, you know, that is even in question uh, now. Pick your audience, right? That's, well, I that's guess, podcasting is good. Pick your audience. Your audience will Canadian, find you. A Canadian guy got sued for making fun of somebody. Like, we're not, we're, what's next? We, we get arrested for making fun of the president? I mean, people are throwing yeah. glasses at comics. Like, there's a thin skin. Like I think I, that I, stuff always happened, though. Dude. I, I think I it's guess, always been a car part of it. You know, you talking about Lenny Bruce. There's no way he never. He probably got a glass thrown at him at, at yes, some show. Yes, but almost. At but some but point. Lenny Bruce was. That would have been on purpose. That would have been like you throw that fucking thing. You know, I feel like my my point is I think yeah. every generation has their moments. Yes, right. Yeah, Comedy yeah. comedy's always has its challenges when it comes to having a voice. But anyway, we're getting off the subject real yeah. quick. So back to you. So Sorry. last night, why? I'm all I know. Um. Uh, as we're wrapping up here, this this is a good bookend. John says you're coming to town. He told me that you know about the losing the eyesight thing. 
And then he said something about you were going to go do stand-up. And, and, and kind of take me, why? Why? Wh- where? What was this whole journey about? Well, what happened was, I, as I mentioned, you know, at that time the cat was dying. Mm-hmm. So uh, now it's dead. But the cat was dying. The dog has congestive heart failure and is dying. My, you know, my, I live with my mother and stepfather. My, my stepfather has Parkinson's disease. And uh, my mother, you know, has skin cancer. And, and, you know, she's 76 years old. And I just had a realization that life is so finite, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I, uh, what I've been doing since I got back from Mexico is basically saying no to everything. And I, my, I got a buddy who says, I'm the boy who cried no, you <laughs> know, like my buddy Patrick, he says, you're the boy who cried no. Like you say no so much, even when you say yes, people say he's probably going to change his mind and say, say no again. Right. And so, um, you know, he, he was he's asked me to come down. He lives in Joshua Tree and he says, come, why don't you come visit me? And for four years, he's been asking me constantly. And I just said, maybe. But my maybe is a no, you know. And you knew that. And he knew that. He's like, I'm going to keep asking. But right. I'm not thinking your maybe is something I can go put on my calendar. Right. right. <laughs> it's called penciling it in. Yeah, I'll pay, yeah exactly. <laughs> don't write that in ink. Yeah. Unless you get a magic ink. Okay. (laughs) And so what happened was is because of the cat dying and the dog dying and, you know, and the the accumulated weight of, you know, the Parkinson's disease, my stepfather and my, you know, realizing my mother's getting older, I have no job, I have no money. uh, And and I actually had this this, uh, woman that I met in graduate school um, and she... We've been in contact for five years, and and we've we've been talking constantly. And then in, in October of 2015, she told me she was attracted to me, and then later on, she told me that she loved me. And I just basically said, "No, it's never going to work. I don't, you know, I don't have a job. I don't have anything." And she, for an entire year and two months, she kept saying, "I love you. I, I, you know, I, we let's try to do something." And I kept saying no, and I literally gave her a list. I was like, and I said, "I need you to write these down, and every time you say you love me, you have to look at this list." And I, in my mind, it was an act of compassion for her because I want her to be happy and I, I love mm-hmm. her, you know. And so, oh, here I go again. And so, um, basically, uh, what happened was is, is because of the, you know, all the shit that was going on, uh, you know, th- th- this is really the pinnacle point. Is okay. The, the day after the dog was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, um, I was worried sick about him mm-hmm. I, because he li- at that time there was snow on the ground. And he loved to lay out in the snow. And I went out to check on him to see if I was doing it. He kept getting up, and then he would lay down. And he was panting, and it was, you know, 30 degrees outside. And he's getting up, and he goes down. And then I, looked, I was watching him look off into the woods. And I said, why are you looking over? He never looks over there. And so I went out three times to look for him. And on the third time, he was gone. And my first thought was he went off into the woods to die. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm losing it. Right. <laughs> Um, Take your time. So, <laughs> um, so uh, basically, I I go out and I'm I'm, I'm I'm looking for him, and I'm going out into the woods. I don't see him, and uh, there's a creek behind the house, a seasonal creek. And I, I'm looking all over for him. I'm calling his name. He's not coming. And uh, I look, and he's laying under a he's, – he's, he's laying. 
He's laying under an oak tree. And I thought he was dead. Even though... I, I, I just... I fell to my knees. And I thought... You don't have to be in a hurry it's to tell okay. the story. It's I, just I, so you know, you don't have. There's no time limit. You don't have to be in a hurry. Okay. You can just collect yourself. That's what you want to do. Okay. Don't, don't, don't. So uh, I, I, I thought he was dead, and I went to my knees and I started crying. And he looked up at me and he goes, "Okay," but I just realized that I'm in that moment. I was like, it just came flooding into me that all I've done is for the last four years is from. It's just say no to everything, every mm. chance that I had. And because I was trying to be strong for my family, I was trying to be strong for, you know, that woman that I loved and do the right thing for her. Do you I think some of that went against the, the, your, the, the Buddha? The, I, don't, I don't really I don't totally. Fo- I don't practice Buddhism anymore. Oh, you, okay. You got out of that. Okay. But I, but. I mean, I, I like the basic idea of it, you know. Okay. Uh, y- y- you know, I, I mean, I, I think the basic idea of it, I just have problems with the structure, okay. the organizational aspects of it. Anyway, so I had that gave me a realization that I, I, I and that night, uh, I, I realized that I have control over nothing. I have, I have no control over the fact that I'm going blind and my brother's going blind enough. I have no control over. You know, my stepfather with Parkinson's, I have no control over these animals that are dying. I have no control over anything. And the only thing I had control over was saying yes to this woman. And and so at that point, she it, it, like in December, uh, actually, it happened on December 29th. I, I sent her this email because she said the night before she said she loved me. And I said, I said, it's not going to happen. It was very harsh. And I thought I was doing the right thing that it was wrong. <laughs> It was wrong for for her. It wasn't. It wasn't fair for me. So, um. And so, I called her that night and and I said, I, I love you. I just want you to know I love you. And uh, I, but she had started dating somebody and and so uh. Uh, she hadn't been date. She only been on a couple dates and but she started dating somebody and she really was attracted to him and. And I, I understand the other aspect of it. She was worn out from me saying no to her. And it was like, oh, now you're going to say yes. You know, after a year and two months, you're going to say yes. And I'm dating somebody. I, and I get I get that. I, I totally do. But I, I just thought that I had this window, you know, and it was the only thing I could control out of all the shit that was going on in my life. And so um, and basically basically to make a long story short, she you know, I profess my love to her, but she's, you know, with this other guy now. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's the end of that. But what happened through that, uh, because it's, you know, it's more the, the accumulation of all the heavy shit that happened. It made me realize I need to start saying yes to life, as cheesy as that sounds, um, like Jim Carrey movie or something. Dude, but it's not. <coughs> but actually, you listen to Jim Carrey talk about it. I mean, that's not it's not cheesy. And there are people that. Do what you do. They, they say no to everything because, and I, I understand you thought you were doing the right thing. You were like, why bring someone else? I used to say that shit. When I was single on stage, I would say, no, I'm not going to get married. Why would I drag someone into my shitty life? You know what I mean? But the truth is, like, people can actually make your life less shitty. You know what I mean? And Yeah, I mean, it's not fair to me because, I, uh, you know, my friend Patrick is like, dude, you're, you're blind, but that doesn't mean that you can't have 
Yeah, your heart didn't turn black and fall out of your body. Yeah, and it's like he's like, dude, you just you know. Anyway, he he has been very supportive, and and uh, and so basically, you know, I, what I thought is I'd like I haven't seen any of my friends, most of my friends in around ten years. Yeah, you know, it's been nine years since I've seen you, and and Matt Dittman and Trevor and 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 so I was like. I was just like, I need to see these people, A, because probably next year I won't be able to see you and at all. And so I thought, I need to see them now. And then I thought, you know what? You know, John does comedy, and he's always been compassionate and supportive towards me. And after I called, you know, John and Matt and, and everybody and said, I'm going to come down and see you, I had this realization. I was like, I – you know, there's something. There's something. I I love stand-up comedy. I always have. I just I just never had the confidence to do it. I just, and so I thought, why don't I just I, I my my instinct. I mean, I just basically did a George Costanza. I was like, I'm gonna do the opposite. The, uh, the opposite of what your instinct is. If, yeah. If you're always if you're always doing the wrong thing, do the opposite of what you think, and it will be the right thing. Exactly. And I and I said, you know, I'm petrified. And as you know, that you know, yesterday I almost was like, I'm not going to do. He's running. He was running. He was running the jokes for me, and I'm trying to like, and and look, I, you know how it is, right? You can write all the shit you want down on paper, but until you say that out loud and get a flow of it and understand that some words are funnier at a different place, and you can switch things around. And so we, he had the basic. I mean, that five minutes was basically done, and 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 very. It had a through line. It connected, and for me, there was real funny shit. Not just because I knew him, but because there was just shit in there that was funny. So I w- we tried to like get it get it to a place where it was like that he would be comfortable and and he literally there was a couple of times like maybe I just just shouldn't do it. I'm like, I don't want to tell you. I'm not gonna force anybody to do anything. But you're down here. What what's the worst that can happen? You go up, you blank on your jokes, you don't say a word, you walk off the stage. We give you a gentle ribbing and we all go home. You know what I mean? Like that's the probably a beer in there somewhere. The, yeah, exactly, exactly. I give you a glass of whiskey and you drink your problems <laughs> away, and then we go home. But like that's the very worst. Like no one is gonna walk up and punch you. No one is gonna rob you. No one is gonna, you know, try to try to belittle you or anything. Like it was a supportive room. Melissa McQueen runs this Barney's Beanery, and I was like, look, this is the this is a great place for you to do comedy, and 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 there and I told them that the only pressure that was being put on him was being put on him by him. You know what I mean? There was mm-hmm. no, you weren't like, well, he better be fucking funny. Or she, Melissa didn't even question me. I was like, look, my friend's coming into town. I'd like to get him a spot. She's like, yeah, of course. Would you like a spot too? I was like, yeah, because I'm a stage whore. But, um, <laughs> and even though I'm doing something compassionate, I'm also fucking trying to get some stage time in there and work on new jokes myself. But so he agreed. And finally it was like, I think, I also think once Matt came over, you kind of started a li- you kind of started to feel a little bit better about like yeah, I, the I, I idea nice that we were all going to go together and I felt like I, I felt comforted because I was literally sandwiched between both of you. Yeah. Yeah, oh on on the on the like, the, on lineup. the lineup. That's what I I told them to do that. It was like Dittman will go on and be a goof nut no matter where he goes up, but to have him bring you up and then me follow you it just made the most sense. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it was perfect and 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 the, the truth is, the reason I wanted to do stand-up comedy is because, because I mean, everybody deals with control issues in their life. But because of this loss of vision and hearing, um, I really feel an extreme sense of a- absolutely no control. So I thought the, the one thing, the beautiful thing about stand-up comedy is, is when you're on stage – you have control of the words that come out of your mouth, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing I you can and control. only you. Yeah, I can't control the audience reaction, but I can I, I, I can communicate with them, and 
see where it goes. And and that's why I thought this. I want experience it, and I. And the, the 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 great thing about it is, the, for the first time, I didn't feel petrified. I, I was nervous for sure. But there, I was there's always that, a, that that anxiety. Uh, to me, the that anxiety never goes away. Before you go on stage, but once you're up there, right? It's kind of this threshold that you pass, and right. then you do it. You don't have time to be anxious or nervous. You're too busy remembering what you want to say and shit. And when right. you you did your set, when you said thanks and good night, what was that like? I uh, it felt I felt at peace. Yeah. I felt I really felt at peace, and and. Uh, you know, because th- the truth of the matter is, being an actor, I because I had done it for so long. I I mean, there were nervous times. I would you know because of certain situations, but I was confident in what I was doing because I knew my lines cold and I knew the the blocking and I knew what I was doing and mm-hmm. I knew my actions and what I was supposed to play. So that was very. It, I'm not going to say it was, it, it was just a little bit more natural. Mm-hmm. But I I real feel the comedy that I was trying to do is 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 about you know my life and. It's me, and and you know I have no confidence right now. I have zero, and so this is like, and and I've had this issue for a long time, and I think I covered it with arrogance, you know, like a, but mm-hmm. I, 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 and, but but I thought you know I had to do the George Costanza, I had to do the opposite of everything, and I thought, you know, this is the one thing I have control of is this moment, and I'm going to do it. Well, know? and what's interesting about standup, and, and we uh, we do sometimes feel like no one respects the art form. Like, everybody thinks it's just so fucking easy to get up there and do what well, you, you do. Oh, you make a couple of dick jokes, oh, you're a real fucking genius. And, and I do think that in the big picture, when you compare um, brain, acting, brain surgery, film, filmmaking, no, no, I'm just telling oh. in, the, in the creative arts. Acting, filmmaking, singing, dancing, all of those are put ahead, skill-wise. They're all given more credit skill-wise. Oh, yeah, we're basically right there with, like, a mime and a street magician. Yeah, so they, they put it they put it down pretty pretty low. Like, well, yeah, anybody can learn how to, you know, make a balloon into a dog if given enough time, right? right. Like, that kind of thing. So... Um, what I always encourage people to do, and what I like about your journey, is that um, if if it's if it's a need inside of you, you just do it. You fulfill the need, and it it was to me. It's not about us sitting here and talking about how'd your set go? Did you crush? Did you not crush? Were there highs or lows? That was. Not, that's not the point. The point was there is a threshold on a stage, and there's a certain way people look at that stage and being able to stand up there um, by yourself with a microphone and a small light on you. And it's like, did you did you did you cross the threshold? Did you complete the task and step back off of there? Because that's the that's the hardest part. It really is. It's not the material in, 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 uh, on stage that comes over time. And a lot of people don't need, seem to understand. And I think if more people were willing to cross that threshold, they would have a greater understanding. Sure. And that that was the other thing I, t- I told them too is what you just said is like he for for essentially he wanted to go to originally he wanted to go take take him to open mics. And there are, st- I'm not bashing open mics. No, there it's are a different threshold, though. But that's that, different. But that, then you're doing, you're in a coffee shop, it's bright, it's four in the afternoon, nobody gives a shit, they're all waiting to go on, yeah. right? Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for open mics, but for what he had. For even, what he needed. But but also, the material he already had, yeah. w- it was already beyond an open mic. It wasn't, like, uh, the first time I ever went on stage, I read bus directions on how to get from fucking Echo Park to Lancashire at the Haha. Like, th- I didn't have any material, I had nothing. I'm, I look like Chris Elliott, and then I would fart, and I would get off stage. Like, and and the open mics I sat through, the material is terrible. Those people haven't even come close. We haven't, at that stage, we hadn't even come close to finding our voice. Right. You've already, and that's because we were young and we were just getting into it and we had no life experience and we didn't know what to pull from and we were all just tra- trying to imitate other comics and hope that that was something we should be doing. You already had a voice. You already had these life experiences that put you on a different fucking plane. Like, people who've had 
you know, cancer and, and had to live through that or, or like like not like we were saying the other day, not many people are going to go through what you go through. It's a super unique experience and it's not necessarily the most positive thing that could happen. But at the same time, if this is the thing and we have no idea how many years it'll take or whatever, but maybe this is the thing that pushes you like you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Like you you looked into some pretty noble professions. I want to be a fucking you know a lawyer that like a civil like a civil rights lawyer someone who helps people like you don't want to just sit on your ass and go well guys i can't see can someone get me a sandwich no you want to like whatever you do you want it to fucking have a positive influence on people and you can still do that with all the things that are going on with you and i'm not saying it's easy i'm not saying i can even fucking understand any of it but at the same time when i went i took that bob ross class with my wife i painted a fucking landscape I've been watching Bob Ross for over 20 years. Every time I watch him, I think, oh, I could probably do that. And then I went and took a class, and you know what? I fucking can do it. And I'm like, what have I been fucking doing? I could have had a million paintings done by now. What's wrong with me? Why wouldn't I try that sooner? Great, John. You just wrecked my whole theory about stand-up and everybody thinking they can do it. <laughs> no, well, no. But, you literally but, but, just said the exact opposite of everything I did. My point, my point was, but my point, but my point of the whole thing is I'm not saying everyone is a painter, everyone is a stand-up. I'm right. saying that, that, like, that was something that had been kind of eaten at me yeah. for a really long time. Yes. And, then, and I didn't do it out of fear of, like, I think I can do it, but if I can't, and people are like, nice painting, dickhead, yeah. then, then for some reason that was like a fear I didn't want to face. You know, like, oh, of course I'm not a painter. <laughs> so doing it with Nicole was one thing, like, no one else is going to see this if it's not any good, and she's not going to make fun of me, and at least we're trying something. And, and, and I just think, like, if you had it in you, you're like, I want to do this. And look, dude, that doesn't have to be it either. Like, you can come down again. We can go to do different rooms. Like, that material was good. You can build on that material. You did a solid seven minutes of comedy you didn't really stop or or fumble and you just kept going and dude i don't i guess i didn't pay too much attention to the reaction of the crowd because i was really focused on what you were saying but i thought it was funny i always thought that material as soon as i heard it i was like well you got something but again it goes back to what i was saying it wasn't a, a material aside yeah on the personal journey yes. standpoint there's there's a there's there's a beginning and an end the beginning was getting in that room and stepping on that stage. And then there was whatever you did in the middle. Um, there was, you're not, you're not to be held accountable for the stuff in the middle. Even if you crushed it, you, you're not accountable for that part of it. It's getting up there, doing what you want to do, and dismounting. That's, that's the real journey of it, right? Like it's, because you don't know from night to night what an audience is and how they're going to react to it and what they're going to say. So, I mean, yes. The material was 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 good enough, but that was what my point was. It was really not about. I didn't really think it was about that. I think there were to me, what I liked about the journey was the just getting there and doing it. Well, you know, there's a great uh, you know, quote by Charles Bukowski. He says, "What matters most is how well you walk through the fire." Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a f I love that fucking quote. Yeah, I yeah, mean, and that's I, I mean that's a metaphor that we can all you know relate to. You know. Yeah. No matter no matter what you do in life, it's yeah. And I gotta be honest, with you guys. I uh, I I think the, the the fire is continuous until your last day. On yeah, you gotta keep you. It's but, not. But, but it's the, not this moment. But it the really key is not a moment. To no, me, and, to the, me. and the key is you keep putting one foot in front of the other. You keep moving that, forward. That is from um, uh, a year without Santa Claus or uh, what? Uh, 
You know the claymation things in Christmas? Oh, they Put say that. Put one foot in oh. front of the, the other. other. Yeah. yeah. But again. And soon you'll be walking out the door and never coming back. It's, it's <laughs> It might be fucking hot. <laughs> it might be uncomfortable. It might be shit you we don't want to do. right now. But you keep <laughs> walking and you you eventually get to where you are supposed to be. And you say life is finite. And I think that's there's a point. There's a truth to that in the sense that our bodies and this kind of Here living. the NASA. Living as a human uh is is finite you know but then we evolve past our bodies i do believe we're all stardust and we go back to the stardust and i think the energy we create within ourselves exists within the universe after we're done with our bodies so i don't think like i try to look at it like no one really dies and if i if i you know you can remember people and still talk to them even when they're not there so uh, to me you you're working towards creating a energy that you like i mean you're talking about your low self-esteem and like how you always said no and you're you're already more self-aware than so many people who have even fucking two of the problems you have do you know what i mean like the depression and stuff like that people never come to grips with that they never figure out what it is they never get what they need and they end up miserable the entire fucking time as as you're already woke up to the fact that you need to start saying yes and you've only got a limited time with certain things and and i think that'll be something that helps drive you again i don't know i can't even pretend to relate to what you're going through i can just like hang out with you as your friend <laughs> well that's that's what i need man that's uh, and uh and i'm grateful uh that i mean you really s i mean I, I i'll say it you really um saved me you know just just by allowing me to to be with you and to experience this with you and and the thing is last night we were talking about it after the show is like is I was so grateful to John because, uh, you know, he could have just said when I was saying, I mean, a lot of people would have just been, no, you don't want to fucking do it, don't do it, just with, I don't want to deal with it. I got, you know, things I got to think about. Right, 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 right. And he didn't do that. He said he was saying, like, I don't want to force you to do it, but you got something here. And that was enough to give me enough courage to say, I'm going to do it. You know, and yeah, a little and shovey I, I, shove. And I, you know what? He, there's a great line from a writer. His name is Ivan Illich. Uh, and he says, I, when I see myself through the eyes of my friends, I know who I truly am. Interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, I have a friend in, in Mexico who, you know, he knows that, that, that my biggest problem is I have no, because of what I'm going through, that it's hard to find the strength to keep going. And so what I'm just saying is that it, it friendship is so important in life i mean if you do not have that it yeah it, 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 and then that's the shitty part of our culture is that it, you know uh th this fucking like w you know that line uh at the end of the act you know is i say uh uh you know the one thing that's supposed to bring us together is and it doesn't the internet yeah yeah it's the thing that's supposed to but it's causing more isolation, isolation yeah. and more um People going inward and, and, and not in a positive way. Like, yeah. like now there are people that, like, I don't need to date. I can watch 400 hours of pornography and beat off and just never leave my apartment. Like, that is not a – like, I'm not saying masturbation isn't healthy. I'm saying, like, you need a human contact. And that's a, that's a big thing for me as well. Like, I make it a point at the beginning of every year to try to get out more. Not because, like, I want to party, but because 
you need to talk to people and have friends and have human contact. And, and sometimes I'll forget that shit and be like, I don't think I've left my apartment all but, weekend. But you do like to party from some time. Oh, man, I love to party. Okay, I just want to be really clear. No, I mean, dude, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, that's, when I say go out more, I mean like go to a comedy show that I'm not on and talk to comics I don't necessarily talk to all the time. And, and everybody's got a little bit of different something, something to offer. And by shutting yourself off from that, you deprive yourself of um, a better life, more experience, just more entertainment, more fun, more... And and even if it cr- creates some misery and some angst and some, you know what I mean. At least you're fucking alive. Yeah, there's a heartbeat. I gotta say, it's a weird thing to. Um, I would never have met you if you didn't have this condition. Right. You know what I mean? If you think about that, like right. this is weird twist, right? Like, yeah. what would be the point of us ever crossing paths right. if you didn't go through all this stuff? And I'm not, and, and it's uh, I'm glad I met you. We'd have you on just for the, just for the writing pirates thing, just because that's what the podcast really is. But right, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's the weird. I don't want to. I don't know if it's irony or what it is that well, of it's, life. It's, it's, it's definitely like how a cause and effect. Yeah, action is it? You know, I did the opposite of what I normally did, which was said, "No, I'm not going to Los Angeles because it's, I'm out of my comfort zone." And and instead, I said, "Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see my old friends before." You know, because you never know what is ever going to happen yet all right. you have is this exact moment there is the time is a fucking illusion and, and again you yeah. can bury your head you there are people people do it all the time you can just bury your head too bad so sad poor me i can't shut off out. the world and be done right that's one way of doing it can't tell anybody how to live their lives but you made a conscious choice at some point to you know to do what you did and i think it's i think the um i think it's an inspirational story not I that you too. came here to tell us an inspirational story, but w- you understand what I'm saying it's like right. you're, 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 and you're still going through it. I, I just, I just think at the end of the day, it's like it's really cool, you know, that you're willing to share I th- the story. I th- oh, I'm happy to your do. life story. I think he should do some kind of a podcast. Like oh, even great, yeah, get get into the pod. Yeah, I got <laughs> some equipment. <laughs> yeah, you want to buy it? But I mean, <laughs> even if it's like a 15 minute podcast, just like. Like not only can but you got a great voice, so you could do the radio thing, and you don't need to go to school for that if you really right, want to do radio. Yeah, just yeah. walk into a radio station and go. I'll give you a couple hours a week for free, and they'll be like your best friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know what? There's but 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 you can still like you can still do things that are positive and make a difference mm-hmm. within the world of entertainment if you if you chose. And I think a podcast is one way you can do that from mm-hmm. the privacy of your own home without having mm-hmm. to go out, but at the same time reaching multiple people in a way that isn't just like. It's it's positive. It'll be something that you're putting out, and that other people, either in your situation or with family members in that situation, or, or something. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I agree because we're going to end this show with a fart noise. So yeah, you probably have more to offer. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm just, I just, it's, it's, uh, it can, it, your story can affect other people in a positive way, and and ideally, and also in the long run, people should, you know, to me, it's like. I if the next time I fucking complain, which I try, I'm trying to be a better about all of it. Like I'm a very fortunate person. I'm super lucky. I, uh, everything is going my way. Fucking things are coming up, John, left and right. You know, but like every once in a while, I'm like, God damn it, why can't I get this or why can't I do that or man, if I just. And then you gotta stop and go, eh, yeah, never mind. But that's a that's a natural human condition, though, too. You can't hold yourself accountable for being down on yourself. That's part of our human condition. It's just a matter of, like, how do you bounce back? How do you put perspective into it? Like, that kind of stuff. And, and you know how I mean? quickly. And Because yeah. you got to put, uh, to me, you got to put perspective on it quick, and you got to go, okay, this is the deal. I'm, yeah. I'm getting too angry about something for Correct. no reason. Why? What is fucking going on here? And then, excuse me, for me, it always comes down to just me 
being over being too reactionary i react too quickly to yeah. things like would you say fuck off like you know what i mean i'll go from zero to ass wipe and well, brian seconds. either way i mean i greatly appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your life story with us today and it's and it's obviously a, a journey that continues the fire is still in front of you right as we learn so yeah yeah uh, thank you for allowing me to share my story. I, I'm, I'm very grateful to be here. No, we're gonna, I, we're I gonna appreciate all your smart quotes because you've like listed a bunch of smart people that I'm going to start using that stuff so people think I've been reading my entire life. So I'm oh, actually going to steal. Yeah, so you've helped me. And uh, I was going to say, uh, oh, well, we're, we're going to tie. We, uh, we like to put fun titles on us. So we're going to call this one Barrel of Laughs. Yeah. This will be. Uh, and and, it, and it's, can I say something in a, in a serious note? Because yes. I know one of the things uh, that we've that you talked about very seriously in this show is. The, the, the feeling of wanting to end one's life. And, and um, you know, we've, we've talked about this stuff before in the show because I, I did find someone who, across the street who had committed suicide. And, and my way of dealing with it post is to joke about it because it was a very traumatic experience in my life. Of course, yeah. But there, there is nothing funny about the feelings of wanting, you know, to commit suicide. And, and, and the fact, you know, you talk about the fact that when you had these feelings, you called your mother and she was your lifeline at that moment. And for anybody that listens to this show and, 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 and I'm not saying anybody that is listening to our show is ever feeling that way, but you always need to know that there is someone. There's a lifeline somewhere there, whether it's your mother, a best friend, or just quite frankly, the National Suicide Hotline. Yeah, you can call the number. Yeah. You can fucking email us. Like, <laughs> we got nothing going on. Yeah. I'd be happy to. The, the point is that there are people out there that you, that you know you know that are that want to listen and want to and want to help you through this. So. And I feel you know, fortunate that you did make that call because some people don't make that call. Some people feel like. Well, this is it. Why would I call anybody? Nobody gives a shit. What's the point? So, yeah. well, the, he, here's the, the point. He's still sitting here. That's right what now I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Story. You made that call, and that call eventually, basically, saved your life. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it, we're at a real crucial moment in our American history right now because when Donald Trump was elected president, like suicide hotlines were like on fire. Mm -hmm. And actually, just this was another thing that was happening in the midst of everything I was telling you about. Two people in this rural community where I live killed themselves within a week. Two uh. different people. And so what I'm saying is I think this is a very, very lonely time for people. And yeah. And we really – it's so important to reach out to each other, especially if you know somebody who's alone or there's any indication that somebody is suffering. You know, make a joke. Yeah, and see how they react. Yeah. Or how about and this? How about eye contact and saying hello to somebody when they walk past you instead of putting your head down and pretend like they don't exist? And also, but know, simple things, but also too. people you Not know. Saying, like, but you never know. Yeah. You never know that that one hello may be that thing that day that changed someone, exactly. you know, and, and, and put them in a different direction. I get it. We're all selfish. And, there's a, and it's all about us the majority of the time. Again, that's the human condition, right? But I guess... The point is, I think that we're all making the same point, which is that there's there's uh, there's somebody out there for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's somebody out there that you can reach out to that could that will that will be on your side. Yeah. Always will be on your side. Always. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember. Wow, this is a really special episode. It was just like you said it was going to be rock and roll. Well, I, I wish you the best on your journey. If I if Thank I don't you. stumble into you before then, before you head back up to the mountain. Well, th thank you for uh, allowing me to be here. I really, I'm very grateful. Oh, it was awesome. Of course, dude. Yeah, it's probably, you know, this will go down in the archives as uh, one of the better episodes. Oh, yeah. 
All right, guys, thank you for listening. Send us emails. Uh, let us know if you think uh, Brian should start a uh, podcast. Yeah. And, and also, if you look him up on IMDb, Max Massimo was the name he wrote Pirates under. Yeah, and, and don't measure your penis. And don't measure your penis. Don't I'm the only person who's ever used his real name in a porno movie. Okay, congratulations. That's, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, and by the way, you got I, I can see John's paintings, and they are beautiful. I don't know if you're gonna they're going to be on johnhuck.com. <laughs> no, maybe I'll put them up on my website. That's a good idea. Dittman did say if I painted one and he'd put it in the bar and he goes but i don't want it to be a regular looking landscape do something weird and i'm like great i'm just learning how to paint now i gotta be all fucking creative well yeah yeah um i'm thinking about this what do you think about us putting like following up the end of the show i'll i'll do my thing we'll end and then uh we'll just play the seven minutes of your set at the very end we can edit that in later that's his call yeah what do you think yeah i mean I, i put it out there for the world to hear we yeah, we can try it. Yeah. It's not trying it. We're going to do it. It's All right. It's a button. Once it's out, it's out. Right. All right, man. Thanks for coming by. And uh, oh, I guess I'll drive you home, too. All right, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's going to make me walk. For yeah, you're out. It's Eagle Rock, guys. Um, All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. And uh, be nice to each other. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe.